podcast podcast. All right. Hello, amazing people. This is Elliot. I'm here with, um, I, I already called you my idol today, by the way. I don't know if you saw my little, my little post for the day. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're, as we're recording that today is the solstice. It is the first day of summer. So I put out a little video. I went to the gym before we recorded. I didn't tell you any of this. <laughs> I just got <laughs> no. back from the gym. So I'm a little, ah, you know, yeah. a little hyper. Um, and so I recorded a quick thing. It's beautiful out in Green Bay. You're not in Green Bay, so you don't even know that it's beautiful. It's no, it literally could not be more beautiful. It's so nice out. The sun is shining. Yeah. I'm indoors like a bonehead. Yeah. Um, but it's <laughs> it's so nice. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm crushing it. Went to the gym. Nice. So your and adrenaline's I, going, you got and, the energy going and, 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 I'm, and I'm and I'm on my way to record with my idol. My that's, idol. that's that's in Jeez. black and white. It's in black and white. And I already got I already got hell for that. Because uh, because uh, Scott Eastman, who he may actually be my idol, so sorry, Chris. Scott Eastman, I'll, may, I'll be the backup to Scott. That's Scott cool. Eastman may actually be my idol, and he's like, "Wait, am I supposed to be somewhere?" <laughs> I didn't get the invite. Yeah, oh, so what that was. Tell him. I mean, how blessed am I to have like two amazing guys oh, like gosh. this, it, like like vying to be my idol? I don't know. You're not vying, he, but no, like, I mean, I and neither is he, and neither yeah. is he. Like. I mean, so, you know, the, the thing is though, um, I'm trying to, uh, practice what others have preached and that is Mm -hmm. to spend time with people that are better than myself, that inspire me. And so that's what I'm doing. So I'm here with my, thank uh, you for that. My friend, I'm I'm here with my friend and, uh, idol and mentor, uh, Mm. Chris Vanderheiden. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And, um, and every time I get to interact with you, I, I leave with a different level of, of energy and enthusiasm. So I thank you for your mentorship as well, because when I go through some of the stuff that I want to cover today, it really goes back to that knowledge share of folks that that have tried certain things and, and succeeded and they want to pass it on or even their failures, which is I gave it my best, but boy, it didn't work. So you're well, giving the venue for that kind of exchange, and I'm, I'm honored to be part of it. So, Chris, you did say different energy. You didn't say better energy. I know it's much better. It's all good. Any energy is good energy, you know, <laughs> at this point in my age, any energy else. You act like you're old, man. You're only a couple oh. years older than me. So, like, man. stop. Like dog years, you know, like at our age, it goes by dog years. Yeah, every year's worth seven. Like, I, I don't I don't like when anybody that's in my age category is talking about being old because yeah. um, I, I'm like, I don't identify as old. Well, there's certain people that, that play golf in the Brown County area, and I will not name them. However, they're the same age that I am, and we grew up playing golf at Brown County Golf Course, and they used to mark the 150-yard distance to the to the green oh, by little wow. maple trees. And when we were in high school, they were two inches around, maybe five feet tall. Now they're 30 feet tall and about you know a, a foot across. So when you start to compare yourself oh to the age of trees, oh my yeah, gosh. so yeah, it's uh, we're getting there. But you know, with age comes experience, so. Again, it's great to be on your your call today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm in Green Bay, which is beautiful today, and you're down in Plano, Texas. Plano, Texas. Um, for those that don't know who I am, pleasure to meet you. I'm born and raised in Green Bay and raised two children there and married my high school sweetheart, and we moved in other areas before we had kids. But yeah, we moved to Plano three years ago, and you say it's the summer solstice. Depends on you define the word summer. We define it by three digits. It usually starts with a one. Sometimes a zero is the second one. And yeah, so it gets over a hundred now. And 
But, you know, it's one of those things where I, I miss clearly the people and still folks in Green Bay and the springs and the and the the falls. The, the deep winter is what I was just getting tired of. And in Texas, you have the seasons, but it gets deep summer for, you know, a couple of months at a time, which is OK. You just kind of deal with it, kind of like you deal with the cold up there. But, yeah, we love Texas. Uh, uh, we clearly miss the Midwest and I'm blessed to have family still in Green Bay. And, and part of that family is the Packers. So I could go to a couple of games a year and, and see some folks and and get to enjoy all the seasons of these great states. So, yeah, it's been a good ride. We got to go to a game, man. Let's do it. Let's yeah. absolutely do it. We're doing the I Saints mean, game. And we got I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying the tickets will be easier to get this year, but I have I, I think they might be. You have a hunch? <laughs> <laughs> I have a hunch. Let's just pretend they won't be. Yeah, they might be. Yeah. Well, I, they might not be, which would be awesome. Yeah, but, you never know. You never yeah. know. I'm a, I'm a true believer, but I am too. I but totally I'm also am. but I'm you know but I'm also uh you know I don't know what the word is for it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, um you know Catholics and Lutherans, and there's just like this like uh conservatism, not necessarily conservative mm-hmm. politics, but like mm-hmm. you know like uh uh well I don't know like uh, maybe it'll be good, maybe it'll be bad. You know, we're all just yeah. like <laughs> right. You know, and we both remember the the four and twelve seasons and uh, those years where they were lean. And every year, though, I don't care what the previous season was like. Well, this is the year, and and I think it. But Packer fans are different. I think every team says that, but we say it with some knowledge, some data points, and I like to think um, that gives us some reasons to have hope. That we we're a young team. We're going to be led by a a guy that's never been given the opportunity, and he now has it. And I'm I'm excited about it, you know. I really yeah, am. So it's, it's all good. Cool. Hey, let's we can talk Packers all all hour. But, yeah, I didn't know what the but, topic was today. No, but <laughs> but, you, but you know what? Uh, you I, I I look at you as like a a, a business strategy and a marketing <clears throat> expert and expert. Vi- well, vision uh, visionary, you know, and uh uh with with creative insights and okay. uh, an ability to to um cut through you know because we were talking yesterday and i was sharing some struggles that i had and and you're just like all right here this this and this and i'm like yeah i like in some of that i'm like yeah i know but you're right <laughs> yeah but and if you, you hear just, someone say it it's but like you just, well, yeah you just yeah. cut right through it so so well, thank t- you. so so tell me a little bit about like how how did that happen did you just spring hmm. forth with this knowledge no, God, no. Um, I, I think it's 30 some years of starting from nothing to where I am. And I still learn every day. So thank you for the the, the wonderful words of the expert, but I'm not. I, I, I have experiences that, that I've gone through directly on my own efforts. And, and those experiences that turned into some good results were because other people taught me. Um, so a little bit of world of hard knocks, trying things and learning what not to do when it hurts, et cetera. But also um, back when I started my career, I actually graduated from UWM and I'm proud of the year 1989. Um, and my wife and I got married a month after we graduated, we moved to Philadelphia area and I started my career in a mapping company. My my education is geography. You can see all the National Geographic's and globes wow. and things back there so I'm a, I'm a map guy um and my career started with about 15 years in the geospatial and mapping industry in sales and sales leadership working for a variety of, of companies um I, I like to think a lot of our sweat equity by building digital maps for towns cities counties state and federal agencies are on our phones today you type in an address and get a map 
a lot of that original content was built back in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, so that we had this living doc, this living map system that private companies like Google can send cars around to, to update and keep it alive. So that collaboration was a great journey back when I was in my 20s, because I learned how government worked, how it didn't work, uh, how private sector and government can coexist uh, for the betterment of the investment, which is all tax dollars. So um, I learned how to sell um, early on. Again, we had some formal training back uh, in the early 90s with uh, a program called David Sandler, and I still use some of the Sandler philosophy and techniques today. Um, basically, it's do you understand who the decision maker is, what their pain is, or what what you can do to make their business um, more productive, profitable, enjoyable? And then third, do they have the right amount of money to pay for your services? Those three elements have existed in sales since Dale Carnegie to you know David Sandler to another um, uh, I would say philosophy that I suggest people look into is called the challenger sale, which is kind of taking those three elements of pain, decision-maker and budget and adding around a questioning process to get your prospects from a certain mindset. So mindset A to mindset B. And typically what we do is we talk about why the, the product is worthy of purchase and you hope, which is not a strategy, you hope that they understand the value. Instead, to get from A to B, you got to ask open-ended questions. You got to start probing into why are you the provider versus your competitor, those kind of things. So long story short, I, I learned from some formal training, um, learned by deploying some of those concepts. You know, it's, it's all about learning what you learn in practice and doing it on the field. Um, making it work is sometimes challenging. And that's where I had mentors throughout my career that I'm blessed to to remember daily. And, and my job is to pass that mentorship concept to the next generation of people going through this, which is what we're doing today. Because if you think about sales, we're all consumers. We were born to be consumers. And by, what I mean by that is we have a plan. My plan is to buy your product as fast as I can for as cheap as I can to meet my expectations. Now, if you don't have a sales plan, which is how do I make sure that I'm spending my time with the right person who's really trying to, to not take advantage of me or my service, but their job is to get it cheap, get it fast, and, and maybe a little bit of scope creep in there. Um, you got to have a plan to mitigate that or else you're going to try to win on their plan. And it just doesn't work that way. So um, what I did after about 15 years or so traveling too much and enjoying the heck out of it pre-kids uh, I decided to slow down and, and start my own company and see my 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 two children grow up. I have a 28-year-old daughter, Carly, who lives in St. Louis, and a 24-year-old son, Kurt, who lives in Cottage Grove outside Madison. So back in 2004, I did the, the leap. I went from corporate America, which was comfortable and yeah. and fun and productive, and, and I learned so much, um, right. to, boy, I'm going to try to run my own business. And I started double-digit sales growth. Um, which is based on the premise that I used my experiences from selling and leading salespeople to actually helping companies, but on my own volition, which is a scary jump. You did it as an entrepreneur. A lot yeah. of people that are going to be listening to this are doing it today. And I want to come to this discussion on how do we find prospects, turn them into customers, keep repeat customers, get referrals working. How do we do that from an entrepreneurial perspective? Because if you're working for a large company, you're still expected to do that if that's your role. 
However, it's a little easier because you're, you're allowed to lose more than you are if, unless, if it's your own business. If it's your own business, you, your time is really, really valuable. And you have to make sure that in the sales process, you're spending that time with the right people. So what I chose to do was do sales training. And I called it custom because I added some market research to, to the mix, which is voice of customer studies, finding out why is a customer hiring Elliot to do their website? What is the value he and his, 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 his product is bringing to them? And that allows you then to replicate that. So the voice of customer data point is important as well as the competitor piece. So that allows you to find out what are the differentiators between you and your competitors and how do you meld that in with the expectations of your prospects? And that turns into sales ready messaging. Okay. So I, I just I said a whole lot questions. of stuff, but I'm going to pause and see, and see, you should say something so I can drink some water out of my oh Packer my glass. Oh, Go beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. You know what? I have to get you like a, uh, an ideas by Elliot podcast. Uh, I would drink out of glass. that. I would drink out of that. I, have, I don't have any of those, but I got to get some. Oh, yeah. That'd be cool. Okay. That'd be cool. Yeah. Can we put double digit sales growth on the back oh, side? I'll, I'll be, I'll be a sponsor. That would be super cool, man. Um, okay. So, uh, all right. You said a million things. So I, sorry. I but no, uh, that's <laughs> not sorry. Like that's great. And, and you know what? The great thing about podcasts is guess what? Your podcast player you can play it at double speed. If we're talking slow, you can play it at half speed. You can rewind it. So if Chris nice. said something and you want to rewind it, like that's cool. So uh, the the thing that I latched onto was, you know, you talked about us both being entrepreneurs and making that leap. So I want to just briefly talk about that because I do want to get into all this technique because you just gave me a flood of information. I want to talk about some of that. But, okay. but, you know, one thing we didn't really talk about yesterday is you made this leap to be an entrepreneur. So were you scared? Out of my mind, and and I'm blessed to have a, a a wife who has a career and loves working and is really good at it, and I that gave me the opportunity to take chances. We had insurance, um, we had an income, we had two small kids, and it kept me up at night. And in order to to sleep, I had to rely on other people that have done it before. Um, which there's a whole host, and that's what's so cool is. The more you start talking to people, the more you realize that these people started as entrepreneurs. They may work for a big company now, or there's a lot of folks that have tried to do this. Um, and it's not easy or else everybody would do it. So yeah, to answer your question, I was scared to death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, so other than uh, be married to somebody wonderful who has insurance available to you, mm -hmm. like what, how else, uh, like things you did right, things you did wrong, like how else would you prepare to make that leap? Yeah, it started with asking myself the question: What what value am I bringing to those that want to pay me? Because I, 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 you know, I wanted to stay in the mapping industry because I was there for 15, 20 years. I knew a lot of people, and I also knew that all of those companies that I worked for, we weren't very good at doing the things I'm going to talk about. We'd go to a trade show, and the VP of of sales would buy two thousand dollars worth of frisbees. And after we went through three days of booth, dude, we'd go back in the conference room in Pensac in New Jersey, and we'd say, how many Frisbees give out? Oh, 1,050. How many brochures and business cards? We have a whole beautiful list of all this stuff we gave out. You know how much business we got out of that? Not very much. Not very, because we were so focused on the trinkets, because that's what everybody did. So, you know, yeah. I look at some of, so what I did was when I decided to resign from British aerospace and move on. I, I said, okay, who am I going to engage with to 
bring value. And there were a couple of small engineering companies that needed some help. And, and that kind of got me through that bridge of income to no income. Um, and then I had to really expand what I was doing. I was doing sales training, but I didn't want to compete with David Sandler. I could have paid him 50 grand to be, you know, to get their cassette tapes at the time and DVDs, you know, but no, I didn't have that money. So what I did was I had to think, what else can I do besides sales training? Uh, and that's where I got introduced uh, to market research by Michael Wentworth, actually. Um, and we did a lot of business together over the years. And he's the one that introduced me to voice of customer studies and competitive intelligence gathering and those kind of things. So again, an example of a mentor. Um, and that allowed me to branch out. So when I went to someone and said, I can help you sell better, what they're going to say is, okay, what book did you read? And tell me why you can distill it to something my people can embrace. Instead, you say, have you talked to your customers lately? And they're like, no. Have you, have you lost customers? Yeah. Do you ask them why? <laughs> mm, sometimes, you know, when you, have you lost prospects where you sent a proposal and, and they, they, you know, they ghost you and they don't respond. Well, yeah, it happens all the time. That's sales, isn't it? It's like, no, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> so um, to, to, again, I give long-winded answers. I apologize for that, but yeah, I was scared. I had a, a comfort net with a couple of relationships that got me over that gap of, I need to go prospect now. I need to actually cold call, pick up and figure out who am I cold calling and go through that process that entrepreneurs go through daily. Um, so for you and for anybody future that is on my podcast, <laughs> people want to hear you talk. They don't want to hear me talk. I'm I'm a fan listening to you. I'm just here to ask the questions I think other people are are asking. So Please. don't do not apologize for a long-winded answer. That's not even a thing. Um so uh I kind of want to uh I guess you gave me all this information. I I want to uh and in some fashion uh we're going to try to have some uh, like a form of this available for download for people. I I think we agreed, right? Yes, so, sir. Um, and what that this yeah. is, is yeah. the audio. And what I'll do as we go through different topics, um, yeah. I'll, I'll start the topic with a title. So if someone is fast forwarding my my stuff and they want to get to a yeah. certain section, I'm like, oh, yeah. this is prospecting or this is contracting or this is whatever. Um, there's a Word document that and, or I'll send you a PDF and, and you yeah. can provide it to these folks, which takes a lot of things that I'm going to talk through and, and it gives the opportunity to use it forward, um, copying and pasting into your own plans or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I want to make sure that what I'm saying is, is, is valuable as well as some of the, the stuff that we can provide from an artifact perspective. So we're talking about entrepreneurs, right? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, in your mind, who is the audience for, like we're talking to in more detail? I think the audience would be in two cohorts or two groups of people. One is an entrepreneur that runs their own business, a, an individual that has themselves, like me, I have no employees on purpose. That was one of my requirements when I started my own deals. I don't want to hire people. I want to bring in friends to do things I can't do versus growing that way. Um, so I, a one-person shop, two-person shop, a 10-person shop. When I look at the the turn entrepreneur, I think it's more of a mindset that it is. What does your W two look like versus an employee or an owner? So you, when I um, and I didn't mention this, and I'm remiss not to. I, I spent three years at Schneider National from 19 or excuse me, 2015 to 18. So I left corporate America 04 to 14. I got tapped on the shoulder by shoulder by Schneider saying, "Hey, we need some help. We need to migrate our current 
customer relationship management system, CRM, mm -hmm. to another platform, but we need you to run the Midwest first. So I ran the Midwest sales operation, understand transportation, understand where they are today. And then we migrated all the eight business units to one happy system. And the rest is history. I worked myself out of a job. But in doing so, I really learned a couple of things back to what we were just talking about, which is corporate America, when they're successful, those companies have a whole boatload of entrepreneurs in their company because their mindset is time is valuable. It's not my time. It's the company's time. It's, you know, all those things that we go through daily as, as business owners, you can have that same mindset in companies. And I hope that most do. Um, so the audience of this content, I think, is are just people trying to do their job as effectively as they can. When you add the entrepreneurship to it, there's a whole another level of stress responsibility that kicks it up a notch. So primary audience would be business owners, small to mid-range, you know, one to 10 people that are looking to grow and maintain. Secondly, secondarily would be the, the entrepreneur-minded people that are employees of a large company, but the content would still bring value. So that's perfect. And you know what? As you were explaining that, I, I want to provide my own little definition now. <laughs> Great. And uh, because it just occurred to me, uh, because, you know, like, so the name of your organization, Double Digit Sales Growth, right? Um, I think that that's that mentality you're talking about. So I think about people that I know that work at Schneider, right? Uh, mm -hmm. if, if they can be entrepreneurial, if they are, uh, if they're given the opportunity yeah. to to be able to uh, have that growth and maybe they're not in sales right but but they're in they're in a, a role where they can have double digit growth absolutely what a great yeah. example that you just gave customer service yeah. i mean think about schneider where they've where they are and where they came from 85 oh, years yeah. ago my goodness gracious what a great yeah. story it's crazy and again i was <laughs> blessed to to say that i i was involved because i learned so much from that history and the people that that built and maintained and grew that, you know, continue to grow that company. Um, customer service folks that are li literally talking to shippers and, and receivers and everyone in the middle all day long, and no one's calling them to say thank you. No, they're all calling with issues and challenges. Right. And, you know, it's right. like, ah, right. what a great, right. I, I could never do that job, but they do no. it great. And they do right. it with that mindset you just said. Yeah. How can I make sure I'm answering all of my calls, emails, chats, et cetera? With the best of my abilities, given the tools I'm given, and Schneider, believe me, instills and expects that mindset. You know, they, they, you know, they, as Chris Lofgren said when I was there, we appreciate effort, but we expect results. Mm. Kind of neat. I just Ooh. get a little chill because yeah. I remember chasing those results daily. Yeah, that's and the great, results are yeah. based on tactics and strategy. I, and I, I need to I need to put that out on my wall right there. Yeah, right on the back behind your head. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, that's that's a good quote, man. Well, yeah. that's Chris Lofgren. I'm only yeah. repeating it. No, I. It, yeah, I'm. Mean, see, now I have to rewind this so that I get the quote right. <laughs> there you go. So let's dig into uh, your 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 document because I, I, I want to sure. give it the 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 time that it it uh, uh, requires. It you deserves. It. Um, so you you know take it take it from the top, man. Awesome, I will. So everything I'm going to say is based on experience, good and bad. Um, mentors in my life, thank goodness for them. And the intent is to throw ideas out there, challenge people's current thought process and and work habits but also try to embrace ones out there that work that I could learn from. So I want this to be a, 
a two-way street and directly. I know it's not from an interaction perspective oh. today as a recording, but yeah. anything we can do to get reaction from people and then some examples of what they've done in their sales journey to be effective. So Can I ask I you a some... quick question first? Yeah, please. Sorry, please. I'm sorry. Because I, no. I told you to take it and then, all right. So uh, like as we go, I, and maybe this is not true, right? But you would would it be helpful for you if if you use like a, a concrete like business as a scenario? Or sure. I, I will use my business as a scenario for oh, most of them. Okay. Okay. Good. And then what I'm going to do is I may ask you as a business owner okay. to say, have you gone right. through through these examples? And and really, um, I didn't explain where my current customers come from. And, and the reason why I want to do that is it gives me some texture and examples that I can use through the dialogue as well. About 80% of my revenue comes from two customers of which I'm a subcontractor to. And I do business process modeling. So current state identification of business processes and then future state improvement requirements that these companies then deploy into their customer sites. So they are primarily Salesforce and Oracle-based CRM implementations. Some are ERP, all these acronyms, but ultimately it's understanding people process data and technology. So these two companies and, and take that content and go and install systems. The other 20% are my legacy customers where I'm providing sales guidance and, and support and some market research and the like. Um, so I'm blessed to not have to do prospecting. Uh, however, I can give examples of through being a subcontractor where my customer has gone through challenges. So I'm going to use examples throughout. Some are my own. Some are once removed through my customers and relationships. Sound cool? Yeah. Awesome. Well, from a high-level perspective, I, I, I want to focus this dialogue from an entrepreneurial view, which is how do I find prospects? How do I turn them into customers? How do I create long-lasting repeat revenue from those customers? And how do I expand those customer relationships to what I call force multiplier, which is who do they know that they can recommend or refer back to me as a service or product provider. Um, a lot of people say it's not what you know, it's who you know. Eh, I take it a step further. It's not what you know, it's who knows you. Ooh. What I mean by that is I know what I can do for you, but until you, when you face a challenge and you say, oh my gosh, I'm having a hard time finding prospects. If you don't think of Chris yeah. and you think of my competitor, I didn't do my job to connect the value proposition or the reason I'm in business to your needs. So it's who's going to think of you first when they come up with a challenge that fits your, your strength. It's almost like you watched my video yesterday. I kind of <laughs> did. It kind of set the tone very nicely because that is why this podcast exists, you know, uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. So when I, I talked earlier about the prospect plan, we are all born in the same way. Our DNA is driven to buy things. And we are taught by watching our parents and guardians and uncles and aunts buy stuff. Amazon has taught us a different way to be a consumer. Cool. Um, so knowing that your prospects are consumers, um, they have a plan. Your job is to disrupt that plan. And in a professional, sometimes uncomfortable way, and all, all it is is asking the right questions at the right time to make sure that you're on the right page, marching towards the result, which is, I'm going to do something for you. You're going to give me money for my time and, and knowledge. Um, and as we go through a lot of these topics, it's really around those basic things. 
Um, you asked before about was I born with this experience? And the answer was no. Formal training, of which I will provide you links to to books and ebooks um, from the Sandler and Challenger source that people may enjoy. Um, but a lot of it is mentorship and, and hard knocks of just trying stuff, you know. And as I went through some of the, you know, I started to document some of these talking points. I was like, oh crap! It came up with a couple of oh crap bullets. And what it was 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 was. Um, I realized that even in today, I forget to do a lot of the things I say I think other people should do. So it's really easy to, to, to spew this guidance and coaching. And then you slow down and say, boy, I had this opportunity last week where I could have done this. So you're going to go through and, and your listeners here, you're going to go through some old crap moments, not only as I give examples, because you're going to be able to kind of paraphrase those in your own experience. And you say, oh, crap, I could have done that. That's fine. Yeah. Say, oh, crap, document it and don't do the same thing again, Ron, next time. Um, and what else is going to happen is let's pretend like at the end of our time, someone sees value in a certain point and some questioning tactics and it doesn't work. It's not all this stuff works for everybody. You got to make it your own. So as you go through the old crap experiences, don't get discouraged because it's part of changing behavior and tactics, you know? Yeah. yeah. What happens is, and so that's the old crap section. Now I'm at Wimp Junction, which is you learn stuff by reading, watching, listening to podcasts, searching on the web, and you get to an opportunity to deploy some of those tactics of which some could be awkward. I mean, how often do you talk about pricing of your services, Elliot, with a prospect you just met an hour or a half hour ago? I'm not putting on the spot. It's just, it's more of a, you know, rhetorical, which is some people, if they get to the end of the conversation, I hope they would yeah. have talked about scope, pricing and delivery time. Yeah. So it's that three-legged stool. Right. But also some people are like, I don't want to push them away because what if I'm too expensive? You're not too expensive. In fact, you probably don't charge enough. So right. people wait to the proposal stage to right. expose their price on the last page. And what do, you, what do prospects do? They open your proposal, like go to the last page. Yeah. Instead so, of. So, I, okay. So I'll, I'm going to tell you what I do and you can tell me like, if oh, I'm wrong or not. Let me, uh, hold on. Um, There's no wrong. Um, well, I mean, you, uh, I beg to differ. There's plenty. Of <laughs> okay. There's a lot I, of that. Wrong I, I, I've been, I've been told many times by <laughs> many wrong. people, some of yeah. whom I live with, that, that there are things I do wrong. Um, Understood. Understood. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm talking to somebody, you know, if I was talking to you and we we're talking about a project, uh, I would interject at some point, <laughs> at some point, I'd be like, so that would be, and I would, I would cap it. I would say, so that is a type of project that would be under $10,000. And that's in the first conversation. Yes. Wonderful. A plus. Oh, okay. I mean, well, no, let me, you said it's capped. Yeah. At, capped so, I, at? so, so because I try to treat my customers the way I would want to be treated because like, that's what I'm looking for as a customer. Yep. I want to hear like, what's the bottom line? What's the most I should expect to pay? And I would give caveats. I would be making these assumptions that we discussed. Yep. Perfect. You know, I would say, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm going to not come up with a good scenario, of course, but you know, like, you know, be based on restriction A, B and C, it's going to be $10,000. Now, if those requirements differ or yep. if, uh, 
you know, something else changes, something else comes along, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily apply, but that's, that's obvious. Right. I mean, correct. and I, and I think that, I think that's fine to have that candid conversation. It's no different than, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I, if I go to the Walmart checkout and I'm like, well, I, oh, I forgot a gallon of milk and I have <clears> to run back. I don't expect them to throw that in for free. Right. But you know what? I think first off a plus for bringing the topic up in the first meeting, the way you handled the pricing is 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 really good as well, which is if you cap it with a caveat and the caveat is documented, then you don't get scope creep in your relationship that makes and it I, grow. And I'm I make it sound like that. I execute that perfectly. Of course I do not. <laughs> no, but you know what you could do? But here's here's the goal, guys and people, uh, guys, everybody. Yeah. Um, if I say guys, it's because that's um is because we're from green bay and that's yeah yeah right right exactly and this came out of a bubbler in my kitchen right right. um but is to do things on purpose with intent you went into the conversation whether you knew it or not is i'm going to understand why they want to talk to me which is their desires that's your scope the caveat is the scope you you talked about when they want it and when you can do it and you talked about price those are that three-legged stool and you should have that conversation first meeting and anyone that's listening that doesn't i challenge you to doesn't mean you have to come up with a contract it just means you're setting the tone that it's okay to talk about uncomfortable topics and you can even use a a softening statement like this which is part of the fun guys when we're talking about dialogue it's asking questions listening asking a secondary questioning question and shutting up and listening so sometimes to get the dialogue going around a topic like price is you use a softening statement like, I don't know if you've experienced this before, but sometimes people, when they're having conversations like this, don't like to talk about price until later. I would rather start to understand from a high level, where is your budget to make sure that the time we're spending today and forward is going to fall within those guidelines or whatever, something that says we're going to talk about price. We're not going to finalize a price. I just got to give me a range. Or is it a thousand or 50,000? Because if it's a thousand and I, you just got done telling me your pain and I'm calculating in my head quickly as a ballpark number, it's 15,000. You better go find 14 grand. Yeah. Right? And, so, and, you know, and so, you know, when we're dealing with like professional services, you know, that are you know thousands of dollars, you know, maybe not hundreds of thousands where it's a big group, but, you know, small people, you know, small, small people, sure. you know, individuals, right doing professional services it's you know 10,000 20,000 maybe less whatever right and uh these these numbers shouldn't be a surprise uh, um and uh the the other thing is yeah things that can be negotiable too so like you yes. you know if you want to discuss the around the edges but you should at least know well this is the ballpark right and, on right you on. know and yeah. and I'm not yeah. and I, I I'm confused that this is ever an issue, honestly. It happens all the time. And you should be confused because you don't, you do it right, but most people don't. It's super weird. It, it is weird because how do you propose something without knowing? First off, your price and your proposal should be based on scope, which equates time, materials. If you're building widgets, how long does it take to make a widget? Um, do not reduce your price until the scope changes, which is less services, yeah. less widgets, then the price comes down. If someone says, and, and I've done this before uh, when I was a consumer, I'll give you 20% off if you do it by the end of the day. Oh yeah. Why? Because you're going under and you need the money to get payroll done? Why <laughs> right. are you giving me this discount when I didn't right. even ask for one yet? Right. Do not give a discount because if you say I'm going to knock off 10%, my reaction is you were gouging me 10%. 
And gouging is a weird word in business. It's just don't let the customer tell you the value of your product based on price. You know the value, which is your yeah. time, the materials, and your brain power, which connects all this yeah. stuff into deliverable. Because yeah. it, it's so easy to say, man, based on where I am in my pipeline management, because I have prospects you know, that are going towards, you know, the funnel, a lot of prospects, and they start to go away as you end up with a smaller percentage that went in, you get to a desperation mode. And that goes back to Wimp Junction. Wimp Junction is I'm going to hold my ground. Scope equals price and deliverable. Yeah. Or Wimp Junction is, shoot, I need the business. Doesn't mean you're a wimp. If you need the business, give them a little love and reduce it by whatever number it takes. However, do it so they owe you. <laughs> what I mean by that is there's some intellectual property that goes with a lot of things we do. And there's also emotional value and property so that when you say, I don't know if we can do this for 8,000, you know, I told it was 10, show the anguish, make it, make them know that you're not just flippantly giving them a $2,000 discount. No, they got to earn it because they got to owe you later. Cause your next proposal that you do with this company is, do you remember what I charged you last time? And they're going to say, yeah, can you do it again? You're like, no, I can't. Your job is to recoup that two grand if you can, right? So, but you're right. you don't want to press you create precedence with the relationship by reducing price just simply by doing so. So that is a perfect thing because uh, speaking of experience, you don't want to do that. Uh, I uh, yeah, I, because I've I've uh, done things for less than I should have in the past. As every everyone probably has, sure. and then uh, you know, in the world I'm in, the web development world, things change, and uh, you know, right. every four or five years, you have to do a major revamp of some kind for some reason. You just do, and uh, and then they're like, oh, so this is going to cost about you know X, and I'm like, well, it's going to be more like three X, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And there's like, oh, well, I totally can't do that, and I'm like, well. So what? Okay, so like, what would you recommend I do in that kind of circumstance? Because these are these are uh, people that I I consider to be almost friends. Yeah, um, they're people that I really care for. I don't want them to be stuck with junk, oh, uh, especially no. if my name is sort of attached to it. Yeah. What would you do if you were in my spot there? I would say, why do you need my help? And if they are to they, their response is either because I don't know how to do this part of building a website. Like let's pretend like they know how to do some of what you do and you're trying to coexist with an internal competitor. I've done that before. It's like, geez, why would you hire me? Because you do what I do. So in order to turn that influencer, because that's not the decision maker, he or she probably has to go to someone else and say, hey, Elliot and I can work together on this. And here's why he, he or she has to take somewhat of an ego hit there to say, I need help. In fact, most consumers do, don't they? They're at the podium. I admit I have a problem and I admit I tried to fix it myself and look for free on the internet. I had to call you and right. pay you for your stuff. They right. have to get to that part. So maybe it's a question like, what value do I bring? And he says, I don't know, not, nothing. My boss told me I had to have a meeting with you. I was like, okay, done. If they say, because I don't know how to do this, great. Or if they say, and this is when you ask questions, be prepared for an answer. Um, your question should be structured to provide an answer that allows you to use it for yourself, not against them, but in your strategy. What if they were to say, I don't need you? Then what do you say? All right, this calls over and you hang up. I no, mean, in, me a nice, in a nice way, maybe. It could be, because <laughs> what you exactly what you can say is, oh, I find that weird, because let's pretend like 
because I've done this before. You're selling to your first contact and it's a buddy of yours. Yeah. And the buddy says, dude, I really want to help you in your business. I, I've seen your work. Right. You, you, your price point is great, but let me just get my IT person involved. And they bring in the IT. And then you're having a conversation with the IT person who says, oh, you're a threat. Mm. So you could say something like this in that example. Well, that's weird because Bob actually told me, told suggest that you and I talk. So there must be some reason why he wants my help. So that kind of puts the tech person not in defense mode, but at least let me play a little bit before I say this relationship is open. So you, that you're going for a no. And I didn't say this early enough, but I think I will say it throughout. You're going for a no. And, and yeah. by asking those kind of questions to a perceived adversary, which is someone that may not want your help, um, but you have to kind of have them earn it. And you do it by asking questions and, and if you get to the, if he or she says, no, I'm still not buying, I'm going to tell Bob we're good. You're fine. However, you're going for a no. Right. With that tech person, it's a no. Maybe you got to re-engage with Bob and say, I talked to Jim based on our conversation. We, If you truly agree, we both agree that for this project, you got it covered. However, there may be other opportunities where you need my help and here's where they are. So Bob isn't done with you. Jim is. But Bob may also go back to Jim and say, come on, man, I know that you don't have time to do this. And so you, you, you go for a no, but only check the box no when you've exhausted every option, but not too much. Don't dwell on it. Don't keep trying to turn that internal tech person into your ally because it's like pushing a rock uphill, right? Yeah, okay. good. I'm sorry that we spent so much time on Wimp Junction, but that's like your best headline, man. Well, it is because I because I because I've turned into wimps and I'm like, oh, I'll just send your proposal and and hope the price fits into blah, blah, blah. Right. And then they go they go dark on you. And everything Honestly, I feel like that and truly like that's your best headline. But like that is a thing that people they struggle with because we turn we turn into mush because that's part of that rejection thing. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be rejected. You don't want to push too hard. Like it's it's all all of those things. It's all wrapped in there. And you know, Wimp Junction, it's not a Chris term. That's David Sandler. Oh, really? So yeah, when I send you the, it doesn't diminish the value of it. Don't go, oh, really? I was going to give you credit for it. No, it, it, it is yeah. basically a concept of do different things for better results. Yeah. You know, it's Einstein's um, thing. So. so I didn't mean it even that way. I know it came <laughs> I know you didn't, man. Uh, I know no, you didn't. No, no. So, uh, so <laughs> my favorite Steve Jobs quote of all time, who, you know, I'm stealing a Steve Jobs quote, but mm -hmm. um, he, this is a quote he stole and it's a uh, great artist's <laughs> steal. And, hmm. and that is, uh, it, it applies to everything that everyone does really. It does. Like, like the, the best thing you can do is recognize greatness in others and do that. Do, do that, that thing right. that is great. So you're doing the yeah. thing that is great. So yeah. very cool. I love that. I'm going to use that as well because <laughs> it should. is about emulation. You know, I mean, yeah. it's you don't have time to make your own mistakes. Right. I mean, you, we're all doing it. We're all human. Right. It's just using right. some of these tactics and the guts to deploy them and have fun with it. When right. people think that you know sales is all about you know taking people out for dinner and spending on drinks and this, sales yeah. is the hardest job on earth. And as an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's even more difficult because you know your livelihood relies on you doing it well. Yeah. And believe me, some of the things that we're going to cover, it, all it is is a different question. It's not a whole revamp of the way you sell. It's just maybe right. adding a little more gumption to your questioning because yeah. your time is more invaluable than your prospects. Not equal, not even less. Yes. That's where I want people to get to is which if you're going to use my time and ask me questions as a prospect, 
I'm going to have you earn it because I'm going to ask you some probably more difficult questions, you know? Right. I have to, I have to break in with a little a story and this looks like a sponsor break. It's totally not. Yeah, so, it is. Okay. So if we run out of time, we could do a part two. So I'm yep, so, I yep. apologize in advance, but I was walking into the gym and I had one of these and it's like, it's, it's a kind of a weird color and like, looks like a beer can, you know, I'm walking into the gym at, you know, eight something in the morning <laughs> and this older guy comes up and he's like, yeah, back when I was in Vietnam, before we get going on things. We we crack open a six pack right before we get oh rolling. He's walking into the gym and, <laughs> and so I'm put like, you in the Vietnam mindset. And I'm like, and you know what? It kind of motivated me. But I'm like, there you go. I'm like, wow. I does he think this is a beer? Does it matter that he thinks it's a beer? <laughs> it probably doesn't matter. And did they really drink and go? do their jobs you know they did i know they did so anyway it's just a weird <laughs> weird weird little thing that happened because oh i keep seeing God. i keep seeing my can flip into the screen <laughs> right. and i'm like and, the, and you can't see the name on it so yeah, everybody might hilarious. think of, everybody might think I'm, <laughs> I'm having a, my uh, old style and it's it's not yeah. it's not an old style yet right and we're pretty sure that <laughs> pretty sure this is water but you don't know what this is. <laughs> I, I, I know Green Bay has a bad reputation across the United States, but right. Oh, and in North Texas, outside <laughs> Dallas. Oh man. yeah, I don't know how you live there, man. But uh, we do. Yeah, they have liquor stores down here. Yeah, it's all good. Anyway, so you know, please continue. Go ahead. I will. I will. Um, I'm going to go through some of these items. Um, there's a list, and they all apply to everybody that's in business. Um. The first is identifying your product or service offerings. What are you doing for people? And, and what I'd recommend is you start with a bullet list of five or six, and then you expand that list with, with different attributes, like what is the description of your product or service? Mine, let's say business process modeling. That's the name of it. And then what value does that product or service bring to your prospect or customer? Business process modeling understands what you're doing today, who's doing what, when, and with what tools so that I can do future state recommendations to make your world better. Blah. Duration, if, if someone were to come to me and say, I wanna buy some of that business process modeling, how much does it cost? How long does it take? Mm -hmm. Well, clearly I have questions to ask before I answer either of those questions, but ultimately is how long does it take? How much, how much time does it take to satisfy those, those um, deliverables? And then what are your costs? So that is your price. So you want to do that for each of your product offerings or service offerings so that as you're having dialogue and discovery mode with prospects, understanding their needs, as they're explaining their challenges, you're starting to check boxes on that bullet list of which ones apply. And instead of saying, aha, I can do that, because that's knee-jerk reaction is, yes, I can help you. Boom. Yeah. Want to make a deal? You say, hmm, you mentioned that you're having challenges in understanding process internally because you don't have experience doing that um it's convenient because i do but let me ask you a quick question and then you ask a secondary question so i'm telling them i can do that but i'm not telling them how much how fast because it's too early to try to sell them so mm. that list allows you to guide the conversation in discovery mode to something that says i want to hear more about your products and services yeah pretty basic but documenting it helps in two ways it gets your mindset in the right frame of mind to have conversation. And secondly, um, it allows you to answer quick questions, which is how much does that cost? You can't say, I can't tell you, you know, the political answer. You got to have an answer. You can say something like, well, it ranges based on, on the details that I mentioned. And it could be 5,000. It could be 50,000. I don't know where you guys fit. 
but that's just my experience. So, you know, it gives you an opportunity to start to pigeonhole and guide the conversation. Okay. Um, this connects the very quickly to the 30 second commercial. You need to have a 30 second commercial of your company at large. An example is double digit sales growth. I provide business process, like strategy tactics that helps companies make more money. Oh, tell me more. I have six things. You have a, a 30 second commercial for each of your product or service offerings. So once you document the description, the duration, all the things for each service offering, you get to decide when do you use that 30 second commercial for that specific product or service offering. You know, everyone says use the term elevator pitch. It's real. You're in an elevator. Someone looks at your badge at a conference. What do you guys do? That's your 30 second company commercial. Yeah. If you're going to the 15th floor and you're at five and they say, oh, wow, I saw you at the blah, blah, blah. And I want to ask a question about website development. Your 30 second commercial because website development is one of your product or service offerings. You get to get them excited so that when the doors open, you want to reconnect later. The same so, thing. So, it's so I want to ask you a selfish, selfish question about that. Um, so in my case, I'm, um, I, I'm, uh, I, I have a broad skill set. Uh, and so I would, and, and, and the, the, let's say the product offerings are a little complex then. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I feel like that can make the 30 second pitch or the, even like the, the, you know, that, that first thing, the identifying the products and services a little difficult. Yeah. Um, right. You do, you're, you're, you bring too much value. You're absolutely right. And you got to be able to describe it though. So yeah. maybe the 30 second commercial for your company is a tagline. It's one sentence. Yeah. That's all it is. And yeah, you, in your marketing, you, you come up in your one sentence that has 10 words in it. The 30 second commercial for each product or, or service offering will have that detail, the minutiae you yeah. talked about with sub bullets that says that, 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 but there's a yeah. name website development. It's very yeah. complicated, requires all yeah. these different topics or discussion points yeah that happens in the next meeting yeah you know so this is we're kind of going through the initial meeting yeah. in the elevator or on a phone and then the next meetings is for you to break down those details and really you said it very well and, and i would encourage you to to use it again you said you know what i do requires a whole lot of effort and details and i don't use remember the words you said but you need to say that in advance of the secondary discussion so they get yeah. the idea that this shit's not easy, uh, you know, because what they did before they interacted with you is they looked online to find out, can I download a web creation engine and do it myself? Right. Do I have internal staff that can do it? Do I have a friend that can do it? Do I have a friend of a friend that can do it? Last resort is I got to pay somebody, you know? So when they get to that mindset as a consumer, what you said to soften it by saying, this is not easy work or else everybody could do it. You know, it kind of brings that alignment tighter. Okay. But yeah, it's the 30 second commercial could be a four minute discussion. Yeah, should I mean, be, and you be. can distill things to 30 seconds. And and I mean, yeah. so I mean, okay, like, let me just not talk about me. Like, let's talk about Apple. Apple has many product lines. So then distilling Apple down into 30 seconds kind of talks about them as like a philosophy of their company, right? But yep. it doesn't talk about, you know, like, it doesn't, it doesn't make me ring the cash register. Right. No, it, it, it can it can they can share their philosophy. 
but they, you know, it's so, uh, and maybe that's enough. And maybe that's what you mean by the 30 second thing. It's just the sharing. Well, it, you know what it does though, because we know Apple has competitors. You can list yeah. five. Um, you can compare taglines or philosophies. And then yeah. when you start to search by phone or device and you bring up your Apple, yeah. whatever the version is, and you're going to go look at the other three providers. Yeah. Now you're starting to do competitive intelligence work on your own, which yeah. consumers do. Yeah. They're looking online. They're saying, well, how much is a new Apple phone? Oh my God, it's 900 bucks. How much is a new blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then in order for Apple to retain your attention and focus, it's the bullet points under each product. And if they're smart, which they are, they provide <laughs> their competitors bullet points and they sure. start to compare and contrast for you as a consumer. So right. you need to have the three word description of the phone so you can search it and then yeah. the bullet points. And where it gets funny and confusing is the consumer gives up after the second bullet goes right to the price. Oh, well, yeah. Right. But, you know, it's 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 what you do is complex. Come up with the, a list of the things you do because you want to give them the Chinese menu option, which is I want to buy items one, five, and seven because I got the others covered. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. only way you let them wiggle out of the answer of I have those covered is you have them explain to you as a paid advisor and a professional how they're going to do one, five, and seven <laughs> if the, or excuse me, how the things they're going to do yeah. could impact the results of your one, five, and seven. If it's a linear process and a lot of work that I do absolutely is, you start here and you go, da, 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 da. Yes. if they say I have the middle piece covered, you're like, well, all my work <laughs> down here is contingent on that little piece. Yes. Can yes. you talk me through? And in that conversation, yeah. you can either say, yeah, you're good. Or you can say, I have a problem with that. Yeah. And you can then get another line item of revenue, but more importantly, a line item of revenue that's not going to be a barrier to the yeah. success that they already agreed right. to have with you, right. you know? Right. Sorry, I keep taking you off. No, my God, this is this is not taking me off at all. These are great questions yeah. of which uh, hopefully the, the dialogue people can, you remove your the name of the company and put your prospect in it. You, you yeah. remove yeah. something that was said and you put something that we said into it. And the result is going to be learning. So I think this is, you know, these examples is how you take concepts and, and you know, mobilize them. Yeah. Um, the other point that that I wanted to bring forward, and, and I think it, <laughs> you, you'd like to think that it goes without saying, but it just doesn't. The difference between hearing and listening. Um, hearing is a function of your ear. I can hear what you say. I you sometimes... can now because we've, we switched. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the pun intended. The, the volume's actually working with technology. Hey, that's 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 behind the scenes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I can hear you now. Um, the When you transcend into listening, because that's where you get value from what you hear, is you have to connect your heart and your brain, which is I'm going to ask you a question. And if I'm already thinking my next question to ask you before you answer the first one, all I'm doing is coming up with questions to ask you. And then why do you need me? Can't you just set, email me a list of questions? Mm -hmm. I'll answer it and you spit out a price. Guess what? That's what people do when they try to get online product or service purchasing. How many do you want? When do you want it? Any variables to what we're delivering? You want pickles? Yes or no? Put it in your cart. Yeah. So to diffuse that and to prove that you're actually listening is you listen. Ask a question, and the value of the first question is only as good as the answer to that question. And then you hit them with a secondary question, which is giving them the opportunity to 
expand and, and, and expose more pain, more reasons why they're interested in your product or service. Yeah. And then the tertiary question, or the third, is even more pain. I like to, uh, I've been to the dentist a lot. Um, you know, the dentist picks out a cavity, like you start to jitter a little bit oh, and jump. And that, that, you <laughs> know, everyone you're, just jumped. Collectively. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They're like, yeah. You know, I was like chewing on tinfoil. But, yeah. you, you know, um, in order for the dentist to do his or her job, they keep picking until they realize, oh, this is this is the level of decay. I started gory on here. And I'm going to have to give you Novocaine and, and fix it. As a salesperson, you are the dentist and you keep asking and picking at that pain until you know you have enough so that when you submit a proposal, that pain is reminded and it, it brings back that pain because your solution makes their pain go away. You know, so that's really where the questioning comes from. And the purpose of questions is to really care about their answer. And what will happen is over time, um, it'll just become natural. Because if you're a good person, which we all like to think we are, you ask someone a question, you're not doing it like even on a personal level. Hey, how's the family? If your goal is to be able to talk about how great your family is and you don't listen to how great their situation is or in the or even worse that they say, boy, it's timely you ask because my son is good. You know, then don't ask the question. So I, I, I really draw parallels to just being a good person to being a good salesperson. Because again, your prospects are born not trusting you. That's just how it is. They're just, people don't trust salespeople. In fact, I, uh, back in the day when I had my first sales leadership job, I had an individual um, that was older than me and that's always awkward, awkward, but fun. And I got to lead him for a couple of years. When we first started our relationship, um, you know, it was back in the day when we had business cards that meant something. You'd hand them out, you'd slide it across the table and <laughs> that is my new email address. You know, email is new, it's 1994. Um, he, he, changed his title he did but he had marketing do it instead of regional sales manager he changed it to professional land surveyor i'm like dwight you are a land surveyor but you're in sales yeah but you know i'm selling to surveyors they don't buy from salespeople; they buy from surveyors i'm like mm. no they buy from salespeople that have experience mm. in land surveying yeah. so you have one of two options. Wimp Junction is, oh, you're right, Dwight. Right. Go ahead and just be your land surveyor and pretend like you're not in sales. I learned at a young age because it was right after a Sandler training program or session. I got to try it. I said, you have two options. The first option is you change it to match with the other eight regional managers I have throughout the country. You're not different, right? Your job is to sell. And you do that by asking questions with your survey background. And your knowledge is going to be front and center because of your dialogue, not your business card, or you probably update your resume. And it, it was not being a hard ass. It was just, those are your options. I can't have inconsistency, especially because in your mind, then you're better than a salesperson. Yes. Right. Salespeople have the hardest job on earth. And as entrepreneurs, like I said, we're all in sales because the only thing a win gets you is the drive to go after the next win because your pipeline needs it. You know, so listening is so important. And then understanding how do you prove that you listen? And this is where dialogue can be fun. Repeat what they said before you ask another question. People that talk or ask questions, they want to make sure you're listening. They want to hear it because you kind of expect it, especially with 
with Zoom and, and Teams and the like, where we're now communicating more with screens than we are across from a table and body language, some kind gets dismissed when people don't show their video. Um, you're, you're then kind of reliant on the audio part of dialogue, which is valuable, but visual is, you know, the both ends. Right. So repeat what they said. And if you get into the conversation, this is where it gets funny. Like, let's say it's meeting two and you got this hunch that, yeah, I don't think this, this is the decision maker. And in fact, I think that he or she may be an adversary and I need to expose that. I want them to tell me they ordered the code red. You know, it's like Jack Nicholson on the stand. I want them to tell me that this is not going to work. So when you ask a question and they provide you an answer, and let's pretend like the answer has some metrics in it. So how often do you guys update your website? Right? And they say, oh, we do it once a month. There isn't that. And they say, oh, okay, it's interesting. You do it, you know, so rarely, only three or four times a year. Mm -hmm. um, why is that? And if they say, because we don't get a lot of change, then they're full of crap. Mm -hmm. They should have said, no, I told you it's one every three months. So you know what I mean? So or if they say we produce this amount and you know as a provider of a, a type of machinery that can have more value, produce more products, et cetera, as they explain their world, there's no problem with you repeating what they said wrong. <laughs> now, this is taking the, the, che you know, the checker game up to a chess match. But again, instead of saying to a prospect, you're lying to me. Right. Again, this has to be proven over time because answers and behavior shows that there's no problem with you repeating something they said wrong and have them right. either tell you that what you said was wrong right number one brings value number two the other thing i i learned early in my career is i don't care what you look like or the image you're trying to portray people buy products and services from people they can get along with they don't have i, I wore a tie in my first we had to wear a tie in the 90s we had every meeting went to oh, internal yeah. and externally Oh, yeah. Um, and then we got to, to the point where they said, Oh, you guys can open your collar and be cool now. Well, we, it, the, yeah, the mindset was, Oh, now they're buying from people instead of a salesperson with their daytime. Remember daytimers with oh, yeah. the calendar, you flip it open. No, that, that the, the process of making it as un, as comfortable as can be is your goal, especially early in your relationship. Um, so exposing someone that's asked that's giving bogus information is one way of doing it. One, one time I did this and I followed uh, a call. His name's Mike. And he, he tried this once because, again, we all had the same day timers. We all had the expectation of say, you know, keeping certain notes after every meeting and this and that, which is kind of good. But, um, you know, we're, we're young salespeople typically selling to people twice our age in a crotchety mm -hmm. office somewhere in a state. Yeah. Well, you walk in and instead of sitting down and say, you know, you drop your day timer. Just drop it on the floor. Don't make it that obvious, but just drop it. And you go and pick it up and call. And you start straightening stuff out. Immediately, the person will stand up to reach over to help you. And, and it's a tactic that some people say, oh, man, that's kind of slimy. No, it isn't. It's just a tactic. You, you know what I mean? What it did was it, it showed that you're human. Yeah. It showed that the, you're vulnerable because as salespeople, they like to give this impression that you're Teflon and I know every fact of our product and service. I know why, blah, 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 blah. No, you're not. You're a human. And your job is to make the person across the table feel as comfortable as possible. You don't have to go to the extreme. And, and did I do it? Yes. Did it work? <laughs> not as much <laughs> as I thought it was going to. I had too much crap in my daytime, right? Oh, Business yeah. cards, credit cards, you name oh, it. it yeah. But ultimately, it was fine. Um, but you know, these different tactics of, of which goes back to wimp jumps, just do something different. 
Um, don't do the same thing and expect different results. So I have how to find prospects, how to look at different lead sources. You want to continue down the list or what would you like to do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever. Cool. Good. Um, so I, you know, when you're when you're talking through these things, you you made me think of uh, oh, you were talking about uh, you're the young guy in the room and you're you're pitching to people that are twice your age. And I don't know when that changed for me, for you, <laughs> but I was I was always super young and I'm pitching to you know old guys and like I'm young tech guy and you know mm -hmm. older established business guys and they're like you don't know anything about business and and I'm and you know yeah maybe you know about this tech stuff but uh, whatever right and so so you know I and and whatever I did fine and I've done fine right but but yeah you know I get I those would be some of the you know strange objections and dismissiveness right and and at some point that flipped and it's like you may be the old business guy, but you don't, right. you can't possibly know as much about tech or about modern marketing or whatever as my, my friend or, or whatever. Right? <laughs> right, it's like, right, right. it's like, I'm, I'm the same and better. Yeah. Yeah. What happened here? When did it change? Yes. And, and, uh, uh, so I'm never good. <laughs> no. And I think, you know what, you are good. And, and as, as our experience goes, and, and again, it's making people feel comfortable. You can say yeah. something. I've tried this, where if you and it's maybe it's the first meeting you walk in, and and it's that older crotchety person that looks at you right. as a young tech. You can say, you know, through our dialogue, I know stuff based on my experience, and clearly you know more because you know your business. My job through our discussion is to understand more about your business so that I can apply what I know from the technology side yeah. to make your jobs easier. And that person immediately, what you did was you complimented them. Yes. You clearly know, you know more than I do. And I'm, I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. And a lot of salespeople think they need to be. And it's absolutely the opposite. You're there to learn. You don't get the right to teach until you know the, the student is interested in learning. Well, that's so another amazing thing. When I was in my 20s, I was always the smartest one in the room. And now yeah. I very rarely am the smartest one in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? But it's okay not to be. In fact, you don't want to be. You no, don't. You, you no, want to no. keep those barriers down. Yes. And you want to make sure that um, over time, you will be the, the, the smartest person in the room. And that goes back to the who knows you versus you know them. As you leave, that meeting is either over and they're on to their next challenge or that person is like, holy crap, I'm blown away. And they're taking their own notes and they're going to reach out to blah, blah, blah to get prepared for their next interaction. If that's the case, you did your job. So it's okay to be in your mind the smartest, not arrogant, confident, but expose the fact that together we're going to learn. And I'm not going to teach until I know more about your business because I want to make sure what I'm teaching actually you know, aligns. So how do we find prospects? Typically, you go to friends, family first. <laughs> and the old adage of don't do business with friends, I call BS on from the jump. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of business with friends and I'm looking to do that because friends help friends. I, um, a lot of time we'll do a lot of work for folks that I don't need to get paid. If they're successful and they pay it forward, I'm happy as can be. Um, however, if I have a buddy, which I do, a Jeffrey, who you know, is involved in a company, he's the CFO. And I know through some of the griping he's done on the golf course, I was like, I can help him like that. Yeah. Would I steer away from saying, hey, Jeffrey, I can help you because I don't want it to impact our relationship? If the answer is, yes, I don't want to impact our relationship, 
then you're probably in business for the wrong reason. I'm mm-hmm. just saying. Yeah. Um, because yes, business deals go bad. Relationships through those bad times could go bad too. Yeah. How you keep relationships intact is a contract. And I'll talk about that later. That has the elements documented that when things go bad, you're still going to be friends. I'm still going to want to golf with you. Things just went bad at the project level. Right. If you don't have the guts to do that or the wherewithal to take that chance, that's fine. Then don't try to do business with friends. Most do not. However, what I have experienced is entrepreneurs like to help entrepreneurs. And the people that are going to be listening to this have a very specific skill set like you do, as do I. And together through referrals, we can help each other through together of collaborating on a project or whatever the case may be. I think brings huge value to the resulting customer because you're getting a meld of various perspectives and knowledge. So um, different sources that people are are using today, I'm sure include you're buying a list off the internet. You're going to get what you get, what you pay for. I would not buy a list off the internet. Yes. You're going to get a phone number. You're going to get an email address. You're going to get a company name. You may even get a description of that person's role in that company and what the company does. Great. They're not going to return your phone call because people don't answer phones anymore. If they get your email, they may or may not read it. Um, So cold calling is a necessary evil of business. I look at it as part of the fun because you still got to cold call someone, (laughs) right? Let's pretend you get a list of 100 people and you're like, I'm going to try this. And you get two relate two you know proposals out of it. Okay, you got ninety eight no's. That's cool. How much time did you spend to get to the ninety eight no's and the two yeses? And if you were to say I had to call them six times, three emails, a carrier pigeon, a FedEx package, mm-hmm. you know, and they said no. Okay, wouldn't it be better to maybe do some more digging on the internet first? Look for the people that typically buy things or services that you provide. Get that list. You're building it yourself, so it's a little more front end work. But at least you're getting some of the qualitative content that you need to put into your voicemail, to put into the email you're going to send. At some point, you still got to get them to react to you for the first time. And it takes creativity. Your voicemail can be something like this. I know you get 100 of these a day. You delete 99. This is why this one's important. All those things, we we get voicemails from people. And it's kind of like, eh, it may rub you the wrong way, but that person's trying to have your ear for two or three minutes. If you send an email, make sure that bullets are eye-catching and you use some infographics or some, a little video snippet from a prospect or a customer or something that says, I, I care about this email because I get 300 a day. So all that white noise you're trying to get through as people are doing their jobs, they're only a buyer of your services for a small percentage of their work. Don't forget that. So let me ask you something about this, sure. the cold call thing. Because I've had conversations with with several people over the last month about this. Some organizations swear by cold calls. And I'm like, what do you mean cold calls? Pick up the phone and call, Mm -hmm. you know, basically randos, you know, random. random. And, and, um, and then others have said, I did that 1500 times that did zero for me. And the truth is maybe somewhere in between. Sure. Um, but but also there's an aspect of 
you and I talking about this, there's also people that maybe listen. They're like, well, that's fine for Chris. That's fine for Elliot. People know these guys. They're luminaries, you know, in their, (laughs) you know, but I mean, but, but in all seriousness, right? Like there, there are swaths of people that I don't know who they are, but they may have heard of me. Mm -hmm. And so, so there is a case where, well, maybe that is fine for me, but like, what advice would you give to somebody that isn't us? You got a cold call. Yeah. You you have, how do you break through that? You, first off, accepting it, um, making it a devoted part of your day every two hours from it depends on their time zone. Remember, you're inner, you're potentially interrupting someone else's daily grind. <laughs> when is the right time to interrupt? Early in the day as we're starting it, sometimes at the end when they're trying to close out the day. What is the best time to get someone's attention? Is it during lunch? I don't know. It depends on on the person, but also like I mentioned, time zone. So if you pick the time of the day that you're going to cold call, it really gets back to the source of the name, phone number, and email address of someone you're trying to interrupt. Is it from the internet? You're paying what you get. Because guess what? Your competitors are getting the same list. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's that. If you're going and doing your own research online, let's pretend like you provide a a piece of machinery for the paper industry. You got to find out who else produces that same product. And who buys that product? Maybe it's just cardboard people. Maybe it's different types of companies. Well, who's in that business locally? Because they buy local first and then expand your geo to other states. And you're creating your own prospect list. It's a cold call list. They don't know you. <laughs> you still have to interrupt them. But you do it with a strategy then. And the strategy is you want to take five minutes of their time. If it's a phone call and they answer it, Let's pretend like there's a watchdog. Back in the day, you had to get through that the person at the front desk to get to the decision maker. And you made that person your ally first because they want to let you through in and nobody else. And that requires a certain tactic. If it's an email, it's what's in the content to get them to respond or pick up the phone and call you. It's not my services are 20% off this week. (laughs) It's it's people like you hire me to do this because they're this isn't working and they start to connect right. the, oh that's that's me you know so you still got a cold call and the cold call you should be focusing on three things am i talking to the decision maker and if so do they want to continue to talk to me and you do that through dialogue of their pain and your solution if it's a influencer and they say i have to go talk to so-and-so for permission they got it at some point get to so-and-so you can only influence so much do they have money and timing to do what they want to buy from you? So that first interaction should be very pointed. It should be exciting and it should be educational to the point where they're looking forward to the next one versus send me your brochure and I'll call you after I review it. They're dead. Don't yeah. waste your time. Don't right. even send it. In fact, if you send it, you're going to Wimp Junction. You might as well send out <laughs> you know, 30, 30 of those a day. And then because yeah. here's what I here's what you have to do, folks. Right. Have to create your prospect list and you have to call them and you have to do it every day. And you probably have to do a lot of it every day to the same people. So if you don't have a CRM like Salesforce or Oracle, one of the big guys, there's a lot of small ones like HubSpot. Mm-hmm. If you Google CRM, which is, you know, relationship management software, you can get into an entry level CRM for free. They're going to cap you at certain functionality. But if your functionality is, I want to know, 
who I'm calling, when did I call them, what was yeah. the result of that interaction, and what's the yeah. next one so I can time it. Yeah. You got to do something. Do it yeah. in Excel for crying yeah, out loud. You can track it any which way, but you got to track it. Yeah. You got to track it because if you yeah. don't track it, you know what will happen, Elliot? You'll stop doing it. Yep. <laughs> I did it. I was like, cold oh, calling yeah. is terrible because I just want to talk to someone. Terrible. It is and terrible. I, but you, you, you're 10 dials, you're going to talk to one person. All right. Make 10 dials. Yeah. I mean, so I, I mean, I, I feel like today may not be that day, but at some point, nobody answers the phone. No one does. And, and so at some point I feel like cold calling just becomes just a waste of time. So we'll you, email will too. You know, and, yeah. and, and email is, is its own weird waste of time already, you know? Yeah, um, right, right. so i mean it's hard so like the numbers get out of whack so back in back in our day you know you might have been able to call 10 and you might actually <laughs> talk to three yeah and then you might actually be able to get a meeting with one you hmm. know i mean so some hmm. of the numbers worked like you you know you make 100 calls you might get some meetings out of that now yeah. you might have to make a thousand calls <laughs> yeah. or or you do this instead of doing more of the same yeah maybe you spend a little money and go to a conference. And if you're bringing enough wisdom to that conference, you can ask to be a presenter. And they're looking for people all the time to fill 30 oh, yeah. or 60 minute slots. And your job right. isn't there to sell. Your right. job is to educate. And your job is to get educated yeah. on where I'm going to make money off these people. Right. <laughs> you don't say it, but that's what you do. Mm -hmm. If you And if it costs a little money to have a booth and you're going to show up with you know, some of the, your wares, you, you, you spend that money. But both of those two things requires a strategy. So if I'm going to yes. give a presentation... I'm educating and I'm creating an expectation of follow-up. I'm going to get the list of the people from the conference, which every most associations will provide that. I have their email address and phone numbers. I have they have a reason to answer my phone if my presentation was good enough. Yeah. Or my email. Hey, I saw that you know we met. You or, you know what the, the best part of doing a, a quick presentation is afterwards. People come and ask you questions. Those are warm leads. Mm. Those aren't people just trying to be nice. Mm. Those are warm leads. You then earmark it in your head or you, you have a card on you. And you then, when you re-engage, remember our conversation after my presentation? Yeah. I was thinking more about that. I think this may bring value to you. Boom. Yeah. And then there's, so if you can minimize the stranger part of sales, you're going to increase the percentage of people that want to interact with you. A conference is a great, great way to do it. Um, in fact, I have an example to share with my son-in-law who's in the music um, label industry and they have a new website that they are providing folks to, to distribute their music and to you know track their expenses and revenue and all those things that artists have to do, but they really don't want to. They want to make good music and entertain people and, and things like that. So he and his partner went to a conference re recently and they had through the three week um, sessions, they had this speed dating or speed relationship sessions yeah. where they had 15 minutes and they'd rotate to another table. So in order to maximize that 15 minutes, instead of just showing up and throwing up, which is, this is what we do. Any of it stick and make sense. No, the first five minutes, we worked out a strategy. We role played. We actually kicked the stuff around and came up with a pretty good, I'll say air, air quote script. Um, to guide the conversations to his direction, which is give them, give the prospect five minutes to talk about themselves and some challenges, respond with a couple of your service offering, not descriptions, one line or, you know, three, four word descriptions. 
get their reaction of which makes sense. So then they're mentally checking the box on the Chinese menu. You're checking the box. In the last five minutes, if the previous 10 was, was productive, you say, it sounds like there's an opportunity for us to re-engage based on this dialogue. Do you agree? Yeah. And they say, yeah. yeah. Pull out your phone, grab a 30-minute 30, 30 spot, and then connect. They can still go dark on you. They can still ghost you. However, most people, when they say something they kind of live it yeah. unless unless they're really good at lying them to themselves and other people but if you say it you're going to do it yeah kind of like if you're going to cold call tell yourself you're going to do it and just do it yeah. um if they create a calendar appointment mm -hmm. it could get changed or canceled that's fine too but it kind of reconfirms that relationship a, a little more tighter because when everyone leaves this conference and goes back to their daily grind all of the i don't like the term vendors right people providing stuff are doing what typically the same thing they're taking the email addresses of everybody oh, yeah. they're going to blind copy yeah. them in there so it's not obvious what they're email doing them all the same thing boom boom copy yeah. paste forward yep don't do that just yeah. it's insulting don't yeah. just instead you react with a very sniper mindset of i don't want to waste everybody's time i don't want them to waste mine because i'm interrupting their days i want to interact with people that are interested so go to a trade show with the right strategy in mind um, so that's one option. Another one is you have existing customers. We're always trying to upsell those customers to buy more products or services or more of the same that they already bought. Keep doing that. Don't assume that they're happy all the time because they leave when they're unhappy. And typically when customers leave, they don't give you the chance to get them back. They've already gone through the effort of finding someone else and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So Sandler always said, take the temperature of your prospects and yeah. customers as often as possible. How are we right. doing? Not too much, just enough to show them you care. Right. Tease them with a little bit of, don't forget we do this and all those kind of right. things. So upselling existing customers and then asking your customers for referrals. That force multiplier concept of they know someone that trusts them. If they can get them to know you and trust you and copy, rinse, lather, repeat, it's golden. It starts with a solid relationship and not a cold call. So just to go back, I'll list them very quickly. Yeah. Sources, buying a list, it may work for you. Make sure you have a strategy when you're starting to tickle the ivories and make all those phone calls. Yeah. Create your own list by going to the web, very focused on industry and where your product fits so that you can then go search for names, email addresses, and phone numbers on company websites. Yeah. Um, reach out to current customers upselling your existing services to sell more of it, asking referrals from them. Attend trade shows. And in doing so, make sure that you go into each element of a trade show with a tactic in mind to get your ROI out of what you're spending to go there. Cool. Cool. Maybe. <laughs> At least I, silver, fool's well, gold. But well, okay. I mean, but, you, you know, know. <laughs> I mean, everything's in the execution, right? I mean, you have to it do is. you have to do all those things right. You can't just you can't just uh, attend a, a trade show and expect money to rain on you. You can't just. Uh, buy a, a cold call list and expect money to rain down on you. You know, you have to do the work and you have to target and be smart. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and I think those words that you just mentioned connects a whole lot of visuals for me, target. Um, in fact, um, a lot of folks, when they create their prospect list, they have a target. Mm -hmm. Out of the 50, I'm going to have these top five. Those are my targets because they have the most revenue, highest percentage of closure based on alignment to their needs and what I do. Whatever distills that 50 to something I can start to focus on. Targets are a great way of doing it. You want to do them all, but you can't give everybody the same percentage of your attention. Right? No. So you have to right. 
And, and uh, a lot of folks on the, on, that are listening probably have heard of the term a sales funnel or a pipeline. Mm -hmm. What that is, is an inverted funnel where at the top you have all these prospects and some even call them suspects, which is if you got a pulse and you're in business, I could probably buy a website or I could buy what Chris sells. Yeah. Those are people that they don't even know you yet. Mm -hmm. Through discovery, you're moving them down to a yes or no. And you're trying to jettison the no's as early as possible by either price, you can't help them because you don't do what they think they want, or they want it faster than you can deliver. Whatever the no reason is, get them out of there. Yeah. And then as you start to move those prospects through the funnel, out at the bottom comes revenue to run your business. So you need a whole lot at the top. And then as it comes down to a funnel shape, you're golden. And every company is doing it just at different levels. Yes. Yeah. You know, is that, um, so, so do you ever read the, um, the, the book, the E-Myth? No. Um, so, so there's these, what, you know, this one of these like self-help business entrepreneur books, you know, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it kind of, uh, identifies these different brains that entrepreneurs have right so there's uh and i'm gonna get it wrong but but what sticks out in me is there's the uh the you know in order to be to run a successful business you have to have the you know creative visionary you have to have the person who can uh you know do quickbooks you know do, do the, you know <laughs> right. run the business you know and yeah. uh and and um and and you need somebody that can uh uh, you know, maybe be a soldier and just and do the actual work, the, the engineer, you know, do the actual work. So, you know, in, in your case, a lot of those things overlap, you know, in my case, they, you know, they overlap by consequence of me not wanting to hire a bunch of staff, you know, but, yep, but, yep. um, uh, so I think a lot of people go into business. I mean, my point is that that they go in because they are the engineers. They they're like, I'm good at doing this thing. I'm good at making websites. I'm good at making pies. I'm good at you know uh, teaching people about uh, how to you know on the top end run their business and and market things. But you know they but they don't want to uh, you know this kind of structure uh, or salesiness. <laughs> they, you know yeah. turns them off. And so what do you say to those people? Well, you have two options. You can hire a salesperson that wants to do this work and wakes up every day to sell and goes to sleep, can't waiting for the next day to, to get no's, <laughs> someone that's going to take that hill. And it requires a certain mindset to be in sales. You first, I mean, we're all competitive at, at a certain level, but yeah. hating to lose second place is first loser. All those things is what drives most good salespeople and good sales organizations. If you don't want to hire somebody, then you then you better make time your day to do it because you, people aren't going to come knocking on your door saying, will you take my money and build something for me? You have to go to them or at least have a way to interact with them and you need to own it. And I, I find in my business customers that want to be the engineer, they want to build stuff. They, do, they could care less about talking to someone about budget and scope and that stuff. That's ugh. Someone's got to do it. And if and if it's the latter where it's like, I have to do it, but I just can't stand it, then you need to talk through what parts don't you like. And typically, you know what they don't like? Rejection. Well, people does? don't like rejection. Right. Technical people especially don't like rejection because it's in the code. It works. You told me what you wanted to do. I put the code in there. It works. What are you rejecting me for? 
Um, you know, and if your right. product or service is softer than that, where the deliverable is knowledge, like in a consulting document versus a pen or a yeah. website, something tangible, yeah. even yeah. more so it gets wavery. Yeah. So I, I think it goes back to understanding the pieces that you don't like. Cold calling, nobody likes it. But if you turn it into a game and you do it every day for two hours and your job is to get rid of that list or whatever the game is, yeah. at some point you're going to get some interest. Yeah. But if you just keep saying, I want to do it because I don't know it in sales, well then good luck to you. If it's the rejection part, make the rejection your goal. Yeah. Going for a no. I am going to make sure you tell me no in our first discussion so I don't have to call you back because calling people back is really painful. And yeah. you don't you don't say you don't want my products, do you? No, that's an easy no. <laughs> you, you, you disqualify them for the right reason. So I, I think it's about understanding what what is it about the sales process you don't like? Starts with rejection. Yeah. Let's get through why yeah. people reject you. And your job as a salesperson or as a educator is to minimize that rejection by knowledge and, and having conversations. So there is a crate, there was a book. I mean, I, I got, I'm going to have to look it up and I'll try to like, you're going to give me some book titles and I'll try to make, add that in the notes. And I can't remember the name of the, the title, but it was like uh, this guy and it was, maybe it was like getting to know or whatever. I don't know. I I'll have to look it up. But, but anyway, the, the premise of the, the book was this guy, he made it his goal to get people to say no. And he yeah. went to people just like with the craziest things. And the crazy <laughs> thing is, how many people said yes to crazy things? Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So, so like, uh, uh, <laughs> one example that sticks out <laughs> in my head, and he ended up on like on the Today Show or so, you know something over over. I think this one. He went to a Krispy Kreme and said, "Can you make an Olympic logo out of Krispy Kreme donuts for me?" And and the the mm -hmm. store manager's like, "Um, yeah, I guess we could." <laughs> Right. And then and they did. And and yeah. then and the, and they didn't charge him for it on top of it. Oh, that's even better. But what a yeah. what an opportunity lost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> it could it should have been like a custom build and whatever, right? right? right. But, but but I mean, but it was good PR for them in the long run. But I mean, but it was yeah. like a a very like, you know, uh he de he definitely made it a game. And that's what stuck out to me. Like you could definitely make that a game, make it super fun and and, and uh, you know, learn to, you know, if it is, if that is your game, you know, you know, make that fun and make it mm -hmm. energetic and, uh, you know, get to know who cares. That's fine. Right on. And yeah. you know, what's really cool about that, Elliot, is yeah. don't you think as a consumer and if you're the decision maker and your name is COO of a manufacturing yeah. company, good luck because you're going to get every vendor, every oh, manufacturer, yeah. every distributor calling yeah. you. Yeah. Don't you think having a lively, weird, different conversation yeah. with a salesperson is refreshing versus <laughs> yes. the same old press suit yes. that never drops his day timer? Yes. yes. <laughs> so asking those questions early and say, you know what, this process is painful for both of us. Let's make it fun. And yeah, blah, 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 make it fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So that yeah. sticks out to me. Thank you. I love it. I love yeah. it. Cause yeah. that's, that's a wimp junction, man. That's again, do the same stuff or else make it fun and, and challenge yourself. Cause really, I think what people do like about sales is the affirmation of effort, which is a yes. They hate rejection, but they're like, Oh, just tell me you want to buy it. Well, they feel really good when someone says, yes, I want you to build a website and you sold them on it because of your technical discussion at the end of the movie. It's probably ended up being that way, but you softened them with the relationship for them to start to trust you as that paid advisor. So the yeah. win is so gratifying and it drives everybody and every, I think it should, in yeah. a lot of areas of our, our life. 
um, that you win by following the rules. You win by having the motive of helping others first. You're not so absolutely. Into, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, so like an it's an axiom of sales, right? Like that uh, everyone buys emotionally. They right. they they can claim they don't, and they will they will backtrack and they will back up their emotional decision yeah. with your facts. So you have to have the facts. And the facts have to be on your side. You can't just completely be, you know, nonsense, especially if, if the bigger the organization. But everyone, everyone who buys, it's an emotional buy. They're buying because they trust you. They're trying buying because it excites them. What, whatever it is, that's it's lizard brain. It all is. Yeah, always it is. But you know what I think happens is we forget that. I, I oh, did it for a long time. I, you forget yeah. that the the person part of the equation is is front and center. In fact, when you're thinking about contacts and decision makers there's yeah. different personas and, and profiles that yeah. should be used in your analysis yeah. so i have about six or so elements of a deal that i want to cover at a very high level the first is contacts which is who am i speaking to why is their role in the company important for them to understand the value of what i'm bringing for them to understand should we start to talk about a proposal together so understanding who that person is and that's your contact on your prospect list through dialogue, you're to determine is he or she a decision maker or an influencer? Now, I like to tell everyone that I make all the decisions at my house. Everyone that knows me, I'm full of crap. My wife makes 99% of the decisions. Yeah. And I'm really willing to admit that, especially when someone's trying to sell me something. I'm like, ah, my wife makes that decision. Yeah. What does that allow me to do? Make her deal with it. Yeah. And or if the reason, if the decision's wrong, I would never hold her accountable, but I'm not going to get yelled at. She, you know, so buyers do that. They, oh, yeah. they, they buy and consume like we do as people. So it's important to understand if they're an influencer, you have to either get to the decision maker at the right time. It doesn't mean I can't talk to you. I need to go to your boss. It means I'm going to educate you as a, as a influencer so that you can help me sell this deal. Yeah. You're not going to say that. And it's not going to be on their business card. My name is Jim Smith and I'm an influencer. No, yeah. they're through dialogue. You're going to determine. And here's a question that could be asked to, to make sure you're talking to one of the two types. If they say, I'm a decision maker, say, oh, okay, so is there a committee or are you the sole decision maker? No, I make all the decisions on these kind of acquisitions. Right. Okay. Um, so you sign the contract if we get to that point. Yeah. If they say, no, that's Jim over in, in, in procurement. You're, you're an influencer. Yes, you may be the CEO, yes. and you may say, Jim, in procurement, sign this contract. However, let's let's pretend that Jim has a buddy who does it cheaper and faster and better. Mm -hmm. And the CEO says, hey, you say, why are you doing that with, with Chris or Elliot? Why aren't you using so-and-so? So don't let a backdoor example like that um, diffuse the position of a decision maker. Because you got to ask, you got to verify that. By decision maker, that definition is this. Um, even as a decision maker influencer, we all have different personas, like I mentioned. You could be a self-starter. You could be a naysayer. Everything's terrible. Ah, this will never work. That kind of decision maker is fun to work with. That kind of an influencer is a nightmare to me. It's like, how am I going to get you excited about what I do to make him excited if you can't get excited? So if someone's a naysayer, you got to quickly get to what makes them happy. Because there's a lot of doom and gloom people out there. Either you're really happy or you're average or you're just like, oh, woe is me. And you're like Eeyore with that rain cloud above your head. 
um, you got to find out what is the, what is the persona of the human that you're talking to, and then really um, help use that to to make the conversation you know productive and educational. And sometimes it goes back to how people think. I'm a visual thinker. You see me do this as you're talking. I'm not ignoring you. Right. I'm not being rude. I'm seeing what you're saying based on yeah. examples in my life or colors or shapes, or whatever, flow charts. If you're an audio thinker, some people say, say oh, I hear you. So you, you, you have to determine how is this person thinking? How do they react to what they learn? And what's their position in the decision-making process so that they can help me help them? Cool. So that's context. Yeah. Decision process is an individual versus committee. Um, a lot of the entrepreneurs that are going to be listening to this are probably dealing with one person decision makers, or if it's a family business, husband and wife or brother's brother, or whatever the case may be. If it's a larger company, they could be, have a committee that has marketing, uh, manufacturing, sales and R&D or whatever. They're all going to be reviewing the proposals. Um, oftentimes, um, you may be faced with a, a request for proposal or RFP process. So as you're identifying who's buying your product, you also want to ask, how are they buying it? Can we do this deal with a one-page agreement? And if so, great, because that's what I like to do. And so do you. Lawyers only you know, take time and more money. If they say no, we expect you to respond to this request for proposal because we want three bids, the bid word bid, but it's reality. We need three to make sure we're going with the right company. And we're typically going to take the middle bid or the high bid. If it's worthwhile, we kick out the low bid. That happens every day. If you're even if you're selling websites, even if you're doing what I do at a small level, I, they're faced with how am I going to buy it? And if it's an oh, RFP, yeah. Yeah. if it's an RFP or an RFI request for information, Wimp Junction gives you two choices. The first is, all right, I'm going to respond to the proposal. I don't care how long it takes. Yeah. And I'm going to beat my competition because I know what I do. I know what they do. Uh, yeah. That's not as good as what I do. And I'm just going to hit send. Yeah. Other side of Wimp Junction is, hmm, I didn't write the RFP because most RFPs are wired to a preferred, either directly or indirectly. Say Someone that educated. Again. Say I that will. again. <laughs> I will because typically large companies, when they decide to go through RFP, they're yeah. doing it for financial reasons and yeah. because they don't know how to buy any other way. Yeah. So they put together a spec, they send it out to the top 10 and the one that's currently doing it, who is the incumbent that's gonna probably get it anyway. Yeah. And you're on the receiving side of it. Yeah. If you didn't write it for them and writing an RFP for a company is not illegal, it's not unethical, right. it is the right thing to do. Yeah. You can say, if you are through discussion, if they say, yeah, we just typically have conversations and we do a contract and we go. If they say, no, I have to use our standard RFP, you say, are you writing that internally or who's writing it? If they say a consultant's doing it, <laughs> what do you do next? You need to get close to that consultant so that they think of you first when they're helping evaluate it. If they say, no, marketing does it, well, now it's just a boilerplate document that you can say, yeah, I look forward to reviewing it, but would you mind me taking a look at it in advance so I can make sure since we've do this before for people that the RFP uh, covers all the elements you need in this part of your acquisition, because I know this stuff. And if they say no, then you're going to wire it to yourself and say, no, I'm not. I'm just trying to make sure that the document you're sending out to me and everyone else is what you need. If they say, we got this, then you either respond or you don't respond. And not responding to an RFP is sometimes 
the best thing to do. Yeah. And it's and the only way you can determine if it's viable to play the game is who's getting the RFP, who's the incumbent, why aren't you going with the incumbent right now? Why are you going through all of this stuff for an RFP? Use your incumbent. They're doing good work. How many people raise your hand out there in cyberspace would say that to that to a to a customer? Why are you not using the current provider? I would. And, and they, I've even said that. I would. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it depends on how they're going to purchase. So Well, sometimes they have to if they're government or whatever. So sometimes they have to RFP things. And this is what drives me crazy because they want to use their vendor. The vendor helps them write it. Uh, and they go through this process. I can't even tell you how many times I've come in second place. Nah. <laughs> on rfps I'm like and <laughs> yeah, and so i and so i'm like huh i wonder why that is and uh, uh so well, you know what you can uh, say and i know it, it, that's like an <laughs> oh crap moment like it's like getting and, a b plus in school yeah that's right like oh are you God. kidding me yes and they don't even tell you where you made the mistake they just right. give you a grade at the top it's like give me some red marks you know yeah yeah um so here's the deal through your dialogue before creating your proposal you're looking for those red marks that's going to give you the b plus not the a and you can say something like this i respond to rfps all the time you know what sometimes i don't and the reasons i don't is because i'm not the low bid so let's pretend like i'm not am i going to get your work yeah. and they're going to be like of course we're going on quality and timing and you can say yeah everyone says that but let's pretend i like yeah. using that term let's yeah. pretend yeah. you have five proposals in front of you yeah all things being equal yeah. You're going to go low price. And then be like, well, yeah, wouldn't you? Like, yes, I would. And then you can say, but based on my knowledge of what we do and what other people do, we're not equal. Yeah. So when you start to compare the value statements of our services yeah. and the price is higher, yeah. are you going to have what it takes to convince your committee that it's worth the higher price? And the only way you can say that is after you've asked questions, they've exposed their pain. And typically in the RFP stage, it's too late, isn't it? The question process is over. Well, it's only over because the, the incumbent told you to say that, or, you know, it, it should never be over. So as you're determining to respond to an RFP or an RFI, ask those questions. Say, if I'm, if I'm the low bid or the mid bid, do I have a shot? And if they say yes, you say, how? And they're going to say, because if you can do it faster, great. And that's your strategy. Can you do it faster? Yes or no. Or are they comparing apples to apples? And your job is to make sure that they know that they're not. Right. Especially in your world. I just yeah. want to buy a website. You right. can't just say that. Yeah. It has to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So through that right. process, you can diffuse or make the decision of do I respond? Yes or no. And if the answer yeah. is yes, right. then you have fun with it. And then you start to ask some tough questions. Because part of that piece is the right. scope. So we talked about contacts, decision-making process, and buyer. The scope is what are they buying? What are you building or providing from a technological side or a knowledge transfer side? Um, as you're going through the scope, I think there's two things that sometimes get dismissed, which is how do you define success through this effort? What does that look like? So that, and you ask that question early in the discovery phase, so you can repeat it often, especially in, in your proposal. Success looks like this. And typically success is driven by KPIs or performance indicators that can prove that the work you did is actually bringing value. You guys do it all the time with metrics that you can provide from the website. How many people are coming by? How many people go to what page? All that stuff. Right. 
Right. Um, there are times where you have a product or service where it may not be so clear. And it's important that the prospect understands that your goal of success is, is the same as theirs. It's not the money that's clearly as part of the, the way people buy and sell things. But ultimately, the only way you're going to give them a referral is if I make you happy. And that's my job. So having KPIs that are clearly documented and and yeah. and I think provided during the project, during your weekly, bi-weekly update meetings is critical. So you have to have a cadence between the customer to make sure that their needs are continually being met. Because again, your goal is to satisfy that first contract, get more of it from them and use them as a referral to get people just like them that want to buy your service. So that's scope. Time frame. Um, yeah, time frame is relative to the scope and how much money they have. I, ha I hate to be crass about it, but that's it. If someone says, we like what you buy, the yeah. price makes sense. Can you do it faster? The answer is no. The answer is probably not because I have other customers in yeah. front of you. Yeah. The only way that I can either move them aside, which is going to cause angst on their front and my relationship is important, mm -hmm. is I can either bring staff in to do it temporarily, whatever the case may be. If, the, if yeah. you want to try to make it faster, let them know that it's not free and you're taking a risk in doing that. And and because yes. what, what you want to do and, and it's subliminal is you want them to understand you're going to defend your relationship with them. Like you're defending your relationship with other people. Yes. And what yes. I mean by that is if I were to say, Elliot, I would love to help you with this proposal, but I'm, I'm working on two others. I have to get those done first. I'm defending my relationship and commitments with those other two. It doesn't mean I don't care about yours. It just means you got to get in line. I'm sorry. And if you, ex ex you know, create that expectation early, the person knows that when the next, next opportunity comes in line to get in front of your work for them, you're going to defend that relationship. So it kind of shows some allegiance subliminally, which is important. Not even um, subliminally, like overtly, like, which is great. Yeah. 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 You know, I think sometimes I rely on subliminal too much. <laughs> Maybe I should even be more overt, but you're right. Just say it. I mean, say, that's, you know, overt. I, that's pretty overt. I, yeah. Like if you're saying, you know, like my other clients, what, what do you want me to do to them? Yeah. Because here's what will happen. Here's what will happen. If, if I need to move them yeah. to the back of the line, I'm going to yeah. charge you. Yeah. And you know what I'm probably going to do is give that differential to them. Yeah. So if, if you're going to, if it's going to cost me a grand to put you in front of them, I'm going to give yeah. that thousand to them because they're going to expect it. Yeah. Uh, budget fee and payment schedule. All yeah. three of those things are clearly important. Your fees should be based on your time and materials and knowledge value. What I mean by that is hard to put a price on what's in your head. Very easy to put a price on something that's tangible, like a number of pens that you're creating or yeah. Yeah. a website is both. It's tangible, but requires all that front end knowledge. So yeah. when people are selling consulting versus a, a, a tangible thing, yeah. um, both require fees. Don't change your fees based on someone's budget holistically. You can certainly change your price. A fee is different than a price. <laughs> a fee is what you are using internally to create your price. Yes. The price is what they pay. Yeah. If they say, my budget is this and your price is higher than this. You have two options. We have junction. Okay, well, I'll just give you a 20% discount because your budget drives my reality. Or you say, I'm going to have a problem with this. You may have to go with someone else. And yeah. if they say, okay, goodbye, click, that's not going to happen. Because at this stage of the relationship, you've already gone through all of those exit opportunities early. They had the right to say no three calls ago. 
They didn't do it because they're still interested. Yeah. So that one question or that one hesitation to say, you know, we have a problem. We have a, a misalignment. And you can say something like this. Remember when we first met each other? That yeah. three-legged stool analogy, price, right. budget, scope. Yeah. The price seems kind of wobbly. And here's what we can do to fix it. This doesn't say we're too expensive. Here's what we can do to fix it. Either we reduce scope or we expand the project or whatever we do to make that those three legs of the stool level, I'm interested in working with you. But I can't just reduce my price. And they'll say, I understand. because And if they say, boy, that's weird. I thought we had a blah, blah, blah. You can say, well, sir, or man, you're providing a product or service to people that are <laughs> paying you for it, right? Yeah. yeah. How often do you just reduce your price? Right. And, and don't say anything. Don't, here's the other thing. Listening and questioning. When you when you have the guts to ask a, or make a statement or a question like that, you really want to follow it up with something just in case it's awkward. You sit there and let that dead air bring value because if they don't answer right away you you you're picking at that cavity in a good way and they're going to say well they're not going to say goodbye they're going to say well you're well, right it's and, because of this and, and well and sometimes they will hit back and they'll be like well i'm in a commodity business and prices fluctuate and it's market demand and i have no choice i have to lower it because my competitor did and they will say things like that but okay. you know it, you and i are not in that situation so like well how would you reply to that I would say, so you arbitrarily said yes to a prospect <laughs> to reduce your price. And they'll say, no, it wasn't arbitrary. It yeah. was, we, we had a list and we, we just reduced it. Yeah. Okay. So let's pretend the 10% is just $10,000. That $10,000 is coming from where? Because you have an expectation of throughput at your plant or at your company that you're, you have this amount of income to keep the lights on. Is the 10 grand coming out of Christmas bonuses? Is it coming out of, you're not going to get new equipment? Where's that money coming from? It's got to come from somewhere because your business plan is based on income. Yeah. So if you're willing to take that risk that some other customer is going to pay you 10% more, great. However, if you're in the business of, of reducing price continually, at some point, someone's going to be asking you why. And if it's because their budget's driving it, that's fine. Make sure though you're getting, and here's what's going to happen. It happens all the time. Walmart, I'm sorry, but I'm using it as an example. Um, I'm going to give you more of it at a lesser price. And people play that game all the time. I got Walmart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but their price point is a third and their delivery challenges are this and this and that. Yeah, but I got a lot of it. You got a lot of a bad thing. No offense, Walmart. But the, as a as a provider to some of these big box folks, they yeah. use that game. They use that, like you said. Yeah. I'm in a in a in a market where if you buy a lot of it, it's cheaper per. Okay, play that game. But at some point, the price has to come from somewhere, and it's yes. based on your internal costs, your belief yeah. that you're going to get an ROI. And if you reduce your price, you know what you can say? Well, let's do a little bit of horse trading here. That. All right. So if I'm going to reduce my price 10% and, and, and first off, you never say yes. You say, let me think about it. You say, I don't think it's going to happen, but let me think about it and get back to you. Mm -hmm. You call them back the next day because think about it means I'm going to talk to my people. Mm -hmm. um, and you say, yeah, I talked to them and then we figured out how to go. And you can say 9% or eight, play that game. It's like house selling thing. Yeah. If you want to do that, if it's big sure. enough, that one or 2% could mean something. Right. Um, but what you can do at a minimum is say, we looked at it and um, unless you're going to adjust your, and you don't want to say we were charging you too much because well, if you right. reduce your price with no reason, you were right. charging them too much. You, that's exactly right. You were, 
Yeah, you can say it's actually true. I mean, it's totally true. (laughs) You can say I'm in this business. This isn't my first proposal. My pricing is based on what the the value of my product or service brings, what my competitors are charging, what people pay for it. Yes. So, yeah, there's a little movement there, but you can say something like I'll reduce my price, but this is what I want from you. Yeah. And, And whatever that is, it could be. I want you to talk about me to your friends and family. I want you to put my website name on your blah, blah, blah. Get yeah. something out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Um, proposal generation. I, I didn't mention these two words, but it's important. I did indirectly, but it's upfront contract, not a handwritten contract. It's in the very first discussion. When you cold call someone, you finally talk to them. And after 10 or 15 minutes, you establish that upfront contract, which means... If we agree at this point that we want to continue talking because you see value in what I do to help you, and I understand that you see this as a two-way street, at any point in time, we can stop the relationship and neither of us will be offended. Right. And then we're like, well, yeah, of course. But by saying that, in the next conversation or two, when you start to ask questions to expose their real motives, which may be to get five prices and take the low bid, Right. You give them the opportunity to say no early then. So that upfront contract really reinforces the go for no tactics, which is we agreed. And as you keep saying, we agreed, like before I hit send on this email that has my proposal in it, let's open up our calendar and we're going to schedule a follow-up call. Instead of praying that they're going to respond and they go, they ghost you, yep. agree on a date. And we also, and you can say this, I'm busy. You're busy. We're going to have people trying to take that time slot from now until next Tuesday. Let's say it's next Tuesday. Absolutely. Will you, will you commit to me that that you're going to try to protect that spot as as, as equally as I'm going to? Because it's really important to me. And they're going to say, yeah, of course I will. All that does, Elliot and folks, is it just indirectly has some more alignment to doing the right thing. These These buyers are not mean people. They're not. They're just buying the way that genetics taught them how and their process is forcing them how. So it's really that upfront contract is is confirming the commitment to a yes or a no throughout the journey. It could take five calls over a week. Yeah. You and I both know some of these deals could take three months over six meetings. Yes. It just it depends. But that commitment needs to be reconfirmed in their minds as well as your own to keep investing time and money on it. Right upfront contract <laughs> so let's pretend like here's some scenarios let's pretend like a prospect says no actually you went through all the discovery phases in the process and steps appropriately you ask questions you kept going for that yes and then at some point before you create a proposal they say no good job congrats do it again because yeah. you just save time yeah you know it's one of those quick showers instead of a long bath if you're going to yeah. want to create that top of the funnel and towards that middle part is really where the work is is important is after you got through the quick nose and you have some maybes in there no one likes maybes but they're not yeses yet right. that's where you're investing more time so the earlier you can get a no the better let's pretend like because you don't get paid for maybes <laughs> exactly you know <laughs> you know unless you're a consultant writing rfps <laughs> right right right, right. Uh, but let's pretend like you sent a proposal and right. you went through all that upfront contract stuff I just viewed about, and they still, you know, blow you off. Right. As you can't do anything about it short of going down and sitting in their office saying, I'm not leaving until I, yeah. you know, talk to them. The only thing I can say is um, be self-aware. 
through a lot of these different tactics. Your ego should be in the trunk of your car. Be self-aware so you're going to learn of what you did right or wrong or forgot to do and should have remembered all those things. If someone ignores you after you submit a proposal, do some retrospective thinking. Where did I go wrong? Blame yourself first. And then blame them second. Second, if the first thing is I didn't call them before I hit send because that's a little tiny detail, but it could it could have been the detail, yeah. one little a conversation that says, "Hey, I just created the proposal that we agreed I would invest my time in. I want to make sure that we have a follow up meeting um, so that because I know you're busy, can we do that now? If you didn't do that because you forgot because the previous process was I just send the proposals, that could have been the one little linchpin. But who knows? Yeah. At the end of the yeah, reflective yeah. process, you may realize that person is just a jerk. Right. They said all the right things and all the right questions, and they still use my information, my pricing against me to use someone else. So remember, when you lose, second place is close enough. Oof. If, but it's still, I'd rather be third, wouldn't you? Oh, I'd rather be last. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, right on. Second is like, like yeah, a, I hated him. this guy. He was too expensive and he was a jerk or whatever. Yeah, you know? That's right. That's right. I want to be last. Uh, yeah. So when you're second and you're trying to figure out why, remember someone else was selected and yeah. they were either, and if let's pretend like they were selected just to beat you on this one deal. Yeah. Guess what happens with your proposal? It goes places. And it's not illegal, borderline unethical mm-hmm. for a company that's using the RFP yeah. process to yeah. provide intellectual property, which right. I hope in everyone out there, yeah. your proposals should have that, even though you can have it stamped everywhere and people are yeah. still ignore it. Make yeah. sure you do. Um, because it, in the off chance that someone's in the gray area of making a bad decision to do stuff with your information, they're going to knee jerk that doing the right thing. But ultimately, remember, when you provide proposals, you're providing information and make sure that the information is used to get you wins with that current opportunity and just enough to tease other people and not expose too much information to your competitors. Because what happens in the non-RFP world, it's a little more gray, isn't it? You may have a customer that says, I'll just send you your two-page proposal. You're thinking, okay, they're they're just going to review it and say yes or no. You don't know unless you asked yeah. and you should, how many proposals are you getting? Yeah. Why would you not ask that question? Because you know why? If you're not in the RFP world, which is typically yeah. three, yeah. like government, yeah. you're assuming they're so excited about my stuff, they're not going to ask anyone else. Yeah. Don't, don't make the mistake. Question and assume that other proposals are coming in and then what decision criteria are you using? Yeah. Um, and they can but still you know go that's, dark. You, you know what? That's huge. You know, because you assume that you know the criteria because you do this, you live, eat, and breathe your product and what you do. But you're not them. Like they they may use some completely crazy <laughs> criteria, yeah. you know, that right. people are like, well, I wouldn't base it on that. But okay, I guess that's good to know. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> that's right. And if you don't ask, you're just kind of guessing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, for real. Like that's, yeah, yeah. Because there's three options when it comes to a yes/no purchase decision. Yes, I want to go with Elliot. No, I want to go with someone else. Or no, status quo is good enough. Or four, internal resources. So it's your you as a company owner, your competitor, internal resources, or status quo. Yeah. All of which require probing questions earlier than later. 
And then the answers that are given is making sure that, that they're thinking about Elliot first before your competition. And then even more so internally versus using internal resources, which is fun to do. Um, goes back to that example we talked about earlier. But ultimately, status quo is also, in my opinion, a bad decision because you just wasted a whole lot of time and energy to say, oh, we're good enough. You want to be good enough? Then why didn't you tell me that three meetings ago? Because I make people in companies better, not good enough. Cool. <laughs> so um, very briefly here, contracts. Um, they are absolutely, in my mind, required. And I know we've all done it. I, I did it. I did business for friends and nonprofits and quick little projects that, that we thought, I don't need a contract. We're good enough. We're friends. Just do a contract. Um, you now, you should have a, a corporate lawyer. And if you don't, entrepreneurs out there, get one. Um, because they do their jobs well. And what they do is they assume you're going to end up in court and they're going to protect you. And by that assumption, they're going to make sure all your ducks are in a row. And I'm only talking about the business development duck, if you will. Yeah. I'm not talking about all the legal stuff and payroll stuff and tax stuff. All those things, clearly yeah. lawyers can help you. What I don't suggest is that you over your lawyer up um, and, and have them review every single contract. What I suggest you do is you create a standard contract. In the off chance your customer or prospect doesn't have one, you can say, I do, let me send it to you for review and redline. Most of your prospects will have one. And that's all also a good thing. You say, let's pretend like you get to the, the end of the sales process. The proposal has been agreed upon, scope, price, deliverable, expectation, blah, blah, blah. Now we're ready to do the legal piece, which is to turn this into revenue and success. Either you, and it's going to typically be a combination of your, your standard boilerplate, which would be a couple of pages in, in English and a little bit of Latin from your lawyers and your prospects contract. And somewhere in the middle through review and redlining, a document will be used to keep everybody in line. And just try to minimize the back and forth, no offense lawyers out there, the redlining process. Pay your lawyer to build a standard contract yep. and then pay them to review as necessary. And over time, you'll have you don't do as much of their review process because you you tweak your standard over time with new influence. Okay. So some of the items in the contract should be legal statements, all the indemnification, all like I said, the Latin stuff that lawyers know needs to be in there because if in the off chance a project goes bad. They're going to use that information that the, the prospect signed oh, yeah. to protect you. Yes. Scope, time frame, fees, and payment are also high-level topics that should be in the contract. I'm not expecting a five or 10-page document. It should be no more than a couple. Um, in the scenario where you're not selling directly to a customer, but you're going through a middle entity like I do, I do a lot of work with a company called Apex IT, a great folk, bunch of folks that do CR implementation. And I do a lot of their upfront business process modeling and organizational change management services. They take my rate, they bump it up a certain percentage and they resell it bundled with their services. Pretty straightforward. What we created was an MSA, and these terms that some folks have heard about, a master service agreement, which has all the legal stuff, all the relationship stuff in that document. We sign it annually with, and they, they sign it annually. And then every time they have a project that requires my assistance, they send me a statement of work. And in the statement of work, it has the customer, the description of the scope or the, the work I'm going to do or the scope, 
When is the start and end date? What is the hourly rate and total number of hours? So that I can look at my current workload and make the determination, yes or no, I wanna take on that project. So I'm blessed to have them doing the selling part and then giving me the opportunity to make them successful. But I still have the right to reject that SOW. It doesn't mean that the master service agreement isn't currently in place because they may have another project a month from now where they're going to be knocking on my door and I may say yes. So that's two ways of cementing the relationship legally at the MSA level. And then each project has a separate document that has scope, timing, and deliverable, and price. And that's also signed up. But have a document. <laughs> yeah, have a document, please. Just have a document and make sure that the minimum, if you want to write it, that's fine. But I, I also have some standard templates that I can that can provide everyone out there that if you haven't had a contracting, you, know, you're, you may have a lawyer if you don't. Um, this is something that at least gets you over the, the, the bridge. I'm, I'm not a lawyer by any stretch, nor do I want to even um, provide it once removed from my legal counsel yeah. but right right, right. um you know what, what a lot of small companies do is they say i'm like i'm gonna worry about that when i have to and just yeah. don't please don't because yeah. i i was burnt early yeah and details everybody are irrelevant is. but everybody is yeah. and you can be burned even if you have a contract but <laughs> <laughs> oh but that's it, a good statement but it, but it minimizes things it it, it does yeah it there's does. a yeah there's some limits <laughs> there are well, that's all I had on my list of things I wanted to cover and anything amazing. in general we want to talk through or any more examples. Uh, uh, no, my mind is kind of swimming. So I, I, <laughs> and I know you have, you, you have things you got to do. So I want to be respectful of your time. So if somebody had follow-up questions for you, how would you like them to get those to you? I will provide an email address um, in the document that I'll provide you. Awesome. Um, I don't have a website on purpose. When I started my business, I didn't want to get too big where I had to hire people. There are three rules. I don't want to be an employer. Yeah. I want to bring value to my customers and I won't work with a-holes. Three basic you know, tenets of my company. That's why he doesn't have a website. Exactly. I don't want people <laughs> trying to reach out to me. However, yeah. I want to be able to help those that 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 want some insights and some guidance. So right. I'll provide an email address and, and then we can engage with folks. I also, like I mentioned, if we want to have opportunities for people to to have roundtable discussions, I'd be game to kick some of these ideas around and hear what other people are doing. Because I've only been doing this 30 some years. There's people yeah. that have been doing it for a year and right. probably could teach me a whole lot of things, you know? So yeah, it's really about right. that knowledge transfer and, yeah. and creating that mentorship with each other that kind of makes us fun. So you want to, you want to do that sometime, get two other people in the little screen here and, uh, and I would love do something like that. I think that I cool. would be all over that. In yeah. fact, what we could do yeah. is you can either mix it up with someone from a, a manufacturing yeah. industry, a service or this and that, all of which are different. Or if you wanted to, be more focused and say, let's just grab a manufacturing SME group, a subject matter expert yeah. group, where you have someone from one industry, but another industry, but they're both in manufacturing because yeah. they're, we're all selling the same way. We're, you know, there's things I talked about, doesn't matter if you're selling universal. In fact, I didn't mention the, the areas that I focused on mostly B2B, but also higher education. We have a lot of customers with Apex that universities are, are using 
CRM and other ma relationship management tools to find students, retain students, create alumni, create donors, all yeah. those things. You can take those words and put in a business sense and say, I need prospects, return customers, referrals, same thing, just a different yeah. world. So I'd be game to have very focused discussions, either in industry or keep it broad and let people yeah. Glean well, if nobody will. volunteers, uh, we should kick around some ideas offline. Like uh, you got because it, because I I think that sounds amazing actually. Like because I I lo I love this and uh, just I learned so much from you just yesterday and today. I I hope that we I, I hope that came across to other people. I hope they they had some takeaways here because I I want to. I'm not going to say I want to go cold call because that's not exactly true. But... <laughs> well, I like it. Go get them. Let's go. <laughs> but but I, 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 I'm I super motivated. You know, there's something about it the first day of summer. I Talking to you, I, I feel like I feel like I could like, come, you know, climb Mount Everest today. You know, well, like I'm, I'm like, flattered by those kind yeah. words. And, it's good. and you it's know, good. I think that energy is what we can get off everybody because you have that same impact in other folks. So <laughs> I challenge everybody out there to re-engage with Elliot and say, hey, yeah. I, I want to learn and teach. And the teaching part is really what gets people to collaborate and share some examples. Let's end it there, man. Thank you awesome. so much. Thank All you. Right. Appreciate the opportunity. The show is over. You're probably thinking right now, what should I do to help the ideas by Elliot podcast? First go to youtube.com slash ideas by Elliot. Click subscribe and click the bell that subscribes you to the podcast and notifies you when there's new episodes. Next, use your phone to subscribe to the audio version of the podcast. You'll never miss a show. New episodes will automatically get downloaded to your phone. Don't worry, they're tiny. You can easily fit hundreds of episodes. If you don't know how to subscribe in your podcast player, simply go to ideasbyelliot.com and you could subscribe using all popular players. Overcast, Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, and there's tons more. If you got this far, you're a super fan, and I love you. Please share this episode on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever your friends are online. Don't forget to email and share with your business acquaintances on LinkedIn, too. Finally, each episode will touch a slightly different set of people. If you know someone that would appreciate a particular episode, you can always snap or text your friends. Everyone is always looking for cool people to inspire them, and that's what we're trying to do here. Thanks again. Podcast, podcast. Sure.